the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Starring Robert Brian Wilson, Gilmer McCormick, and Lillian Chauvin. Punish. 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Christmas special episode of Podcasting After Dark. You're listening to the cool sounds of KPAD <laughs> late at night on this cold, cold Utah evening. Up next, we have what is soon to be a Christmas classic, Warm Side of the Door. Hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome to this episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joining me, as always, my brother from another Santa Claus, Zach, the total snacky Schaefer, or should I say Zach, the naughty Schaefer. (laughs) Naughty. Naughty. Have you been naughty? I'm always naughty. Here, have a straight razor. (laughs) <laughs> box cutter here take this box cutter thanks santa here take this childhood trauma uh, yeah that's right ladies and gentlemen we are talking about the 1984 slasher controversial classic silent night deadly night uh zach before i talk about my history with it because i have some pretty interesting stuff what's your history with this film I did not see this movie up until maybe, I want to say, 20 years ago for the first time. I was kind of terrified of it just from the box and the controversy surrounding it, so I avoided it. And when I finally did get around to watching it, it actually kind of scared me as a as an adult, to be honest with you. I used to have these evil Christmas parties where I would have... Uh, chalk line on the sliding door of a of a reindeer that slammed into the sliding door and impaled Santa on a Christmas tree, uh, a severed head with a Santa hat on it. You know, <laughs> all the fun stuff you do before you become a parent. And um, and I'd watch horror movies all night. And Silent Night, Deadly Night was the you know the 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 one to watch at the end. Like that was the ultimate one. And loved it um, for its 
exploitation to the max. This is like exploitation. This is the definition of exploitation. Exploiting mental illness. <laughs> yes, exploiting every little thing you can to make a buck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was um, kind of heavy in the rotation for me as a kid, uh, so much so that I even turned into, like, I even created a little meme, you know, back when I was a kid, before that was even, you know, a thing. And uh, so I was fascinated by the whole Mother Superior thing, and I also loved Soundwave. So I was probably about 10 or 11 or something, and one thing that I would do to get on my mom's nerves, get under her skin if I wanted to, and I would say... <laughs> Mother Inferior, Corey Superior. And I would just go <laughs> running around the house saying that. And that memory kind of got buried and I forgot about it until rewatching this, revisiting this a few years ago. Um, and I was like, because, you know, one of those movies, huge gap in between and then, you know, re refinding it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this is where I got the Mother Superior thing from or, well, Mother Inferior. And uh, that's why I got a meat mallet thrown at me as I was running up the stairs. Now, looking back on it, yeah, we all know, yes, that's probably pretty horrible. But I was, yeah. a, I was a fucking bastard, man. I, You know what? If she hit me with that, I would say now I deserve that wholeheartedly. Uh, I don't know about a meat mallet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. That is definitely not the warm side of the, the door. door. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, and then talk about, wow, talk about a ditty. Uh, can we just talk about that song really quick before we get into the movie and how absolutely fucking amazing it is? Well, I think we should talk about the overall soundtrack being pretty fantastic because I believe most of the songs are original and one of the songs is called Slay Rider written by Morgan Ames and Lee Montgomery and I'm like thinking is is that the same Lee Montgomery from uh Mutant and <laughs> yeah uh Girls Just Want to Have Fun and I believe Ben uh I think it is the same guy that is believe wild. it or not well, because he did he did he was a composer uh, for a couple movies, uh, I don't. He's. It's not listed. He. It's not listed in his IMDb that he worked on Silent Night, Deadly Night. But it, it would be a odd coincidence if um, if he's the one. Not he was probably still a teenager or a kid at the time when when Silent Night, Deadly Night came out. But you never know. I mean, why not? Yeah, that's that's crazy, dude. And of course. The original title for the film was Slay Ride, one word, S-L-A-Y, Ride. Um, and then literally at the last minute, TriStar changed it to Silent Night, Deadly Night, which I think is a superior title. Um, but going back to the music, so are you saying Warm Side of the Door was written for this? Because I looked on Spotify for it. I wanted to add that song to my, my sort of alternative Christmas playlist, and it's nowhere to be found, only on... YouTube, of course, like uh, Bump in the Night from Witchboard. Well, Morgan Ames is credited as being the, uh, you know, the composer or writer of, uh, yeah, the, the writer of all of these songs. Wow. Uh, Morgan Ames, she did a song for The Long Good Night, 
that sweet Elliot Gold movie. It, that's uh, been that's super high on my uh, watch list uh, because I my wife is a huge Friends fan and I want to show her who who Ross you know uh, uh, Mr. Geller was before uh, Friends and everything. But I thought a Blu-ray was coming out in the states, but I think it was a UK release. Nope it it's it, it it's out. It's is out. it okay? Because I checked in Amazon f- and I couldn't find it anywhere. I will be sharing on um, our wrap up after dark at the end of this month. Some little uh, Eli- I went on a little Elliot Gold binge via Amazon. Okay. So uh, <laughs> and Kino. I'll definitely snag it. I maybe I just did a bad search for it. Uh, she did a song for that. She or uh, she did a song for Beretta. <laughs> Uh, Uptown Saturday Night, a lot of a lot of seventies and early eighties stuff. So she's credited with the long goodbye. I think the main song from the movie, um, but obviously she didn't sing the warm side of the door, but she wrote it. Right. And and uh, yeah, it looks like all of these songs I think were probably written for Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is amazing. I mean. I mean, in the fact that you crank out a song that amazing and, you know, we, we can't find it anywhere, that's that's wild. Now, that's not the same, though, as the composer, Barry Botkin Jr., though. She's no. so, so Barry did the score. She did the, the musical soundtrack for it. Yeah, and from what I've been told and read, the score was kind of made up on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is interesting. But... The, the soundtrack, I think the soundtrack is available. Uh, I, I think uh, Waxwork might have put out. That sounds about uh, right. A, a vinyl of it. Yeah, vinyl. Uh, shout out to our, our boy Lee. <laughs> and um, I, that that's all I know. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if anybody has any more information on the warm side of the door, uh, Zach and I are all ears, and uh, we both love that song. Now, before we get into the rest of the cast and the crew, Zach, let's talk about the controversy surrounding this movie when it first came out. It came out the same weekend, it it premiered the same weekend as the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think for one amazing moment, it actually, Silent Night, Deadly Night actually was outperforming uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, But then the second week, Nightmare really took off, and by, I think, Silent Night got pulled after the second week because there was a huge controversy around people were picketing it people were were trying to get it shut down essentially and pretty much it worked yeah i think everybody uh who is in uproar right now over cancel culture and woke culture needs to remember that this has kind of been going on for 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 decades it just has a different uh label attached to it but people like Tipper Gore and these parent societies that want to shut down and censor things because they don't want their little child, you know, going to an R-rated movie. Spoiler, that most likely wasn't happening because unless a kid was sneaking in, you know, which happened all the time. But anyways, what was going on then is what's going on now in a different degree. Yeah. But it was the same shit, you know, parents freaking out and. Um, how dare someone take this fictionalized character and ruin it? Well, little kids are not seeing this thing, so don't worry about it. And it, it didn't hurt. It did hurt the box office. I know it, the movie got pulled. They were estimating that it probably would have made well over twenty million dollars had it continued to run theatrically, because it was in a lot more theaters than 
A Nightmare on Elm Street was. Um, unfortunately, got pulled and it got shoved on the shelf. Everybody slammed it, which gave it more of a cult status. Yeah. I mean, be, before we get into the movie, it's not a bad movie. In fact, overall, I'm very happy with the movie, but it is definitely like a, you know, by the numbers exploitation horror flick. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Which is to- it doesn't do any. It's what you're. Ahead. Yeah. That's what you're here for. And that's OK. And also yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, a lot of it is by the numbers, but then it turns out to be better than it has any right to be, you know, and and, and I think credit they do, to the writing. It, right? it, agreed. I think uh, the, the characters, a lot of the characters are very well fleshed out. I think it's a it's a fun film. It's in it. A lot of parts. It's a funny film. And on the uh, the Shaw Factory Blu-ray, they have a nice solid 45 minute, you know, interview with like the actor uh billy um you know the the writer and everybody were there and it's like yeah this is this movie was supposed to be just a schlocky fun time and the the controversy just kind of wrapped you know got wrapped up in it now they did push back and they said you know what it it was probably an error to kind of have the the ad campaign really focusing on santa claus being this murderous type and they they were like we should have more focused on billy's psychological torment the ads should have focused on that because you got to figure the they played the ads like on Sunday during prime time during like football. So like little Billy and little, you know, Joni are watching it. And all of a sudden they see an ad for this killer Santa Claus movie. I can see why parents would be upset by that. I I, yeah. I can kind of understand that, you know, like those parents would be like, we're not going to take our kid to see it. But at the same time, give us a little bit of warning with the trailer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and people have argued that. This has been done before with like Tales from the Crypt, for yeah. example, the, the 70s one, which, to be honest with you, I haven't seen. Uh, and now I want to see it because I think Joan Collins is in that that segment. OK, but that was, you know, not advertised at a time when little kids were watching it. Yeah. I get that. I get it. It is traumatizing. It can be traumatizing. If I saw this movie when I was a kid that opening 15 minutes of the movie would have traumatized the hell out of me. Dude, it still traumatizes me to watch it Me too, kind of. Me too. It's still uncomfortable. It's rough. And then after that, once the warm side of the door hits, you're like, oh, all is good. Okay. (laughs) It's a by-the-numbers slasher movie, you know, with with more psychological trauma mixed in than it needed to have. By the way, the the writing team, I think his name's Paul uh, Kaimi, C-A-I-M-I, he only wrote this and the sequel. Uh, and then William Hickey has a very limited writing credit as well. Makes me wonder, because I guess a lot of the film people associated with this movie had a hard time getting jobs after it, <laughs> which is funny. It's like, you're not making a porno here, yeah, you know? Yeah. And and, and there's nothing, it's, it's not like uh, Santa's running rampant raping people. Like, none of that's going on. It's really not that horrible. I mean, it's not much worse than your typical Friday the Thirteenth fair, your your typical My Bloody Valentine or The Burning. All all of those came out before this, and yeah, I don't think it's that much worse. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it's a lot better. I think they actually handled the psychology of it a lot better and everything. But it's the fact that they took this this sacred, traditional character, and again, like you said, not for the first time. 
turned him it turned him into a bad guy, and then certainly not for uh, uh, the last time. We have what Christmas Evil came out later. We have uh, what was that one that's like Deadly Games or Games or something where it's like Home Alone meets an Evil Santa Claus and stuff. There's just yeah. been so many. Uh, well, how how dare someone take a fictional character, a sacred tradition, and flip it upside down? You know, it seems that's that's interesting, isn't it? Someone being upset with traditional family values and wanting to edit or cancel it or just get it out of there. Yeah. Well, we can't we can't have any discussion about this. We heaven heaven forbid we you know you you sac this is sacrilegious against the the against who? <laughs> like you said. Everything's happened before, and everything will happen again. It's all a cycle. Nothing is new. And the older you live, the more you just see the pattern, and you just you, you don't get excited about it anymore because you're just like, yeah, you guys are all just getting ex- all getting riled up about nothing again. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. It's, it's we're sad. burning books again. I thought that was something we weren't going to do anymore. Everything, <laughs> everything goes in circles. Um, yep. I do want to address one more thing before we really dive into the cast and crew. Uh, so when this came out on VHS, it was an 85 minute, uh, 86 minute cut of the film, I believe, um, and. And they actually had to, so I think they trimmed it first, but then what hit VHS was the unedited version. They trimmed it for theaters. It hit VHS with the unedited version. Then later, like later on DVDs and stuff, they put out the theatrical cut. When Shout Factory went to go and and restore the unedited version, they discovered that the, 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 Pieces, you know, were not salvageable, essentially. So the Blu-ray that that Zach and I used to watch this. Now, we did review the unedited version, but you can really see when the scenes are cut back in. It's that, you know, they had to take the VHS, essentially. I think they had to take the VHS master. They tried to correct it as as best they could, but it doesn't look nearly as good as the pristine uh, version. And moving forward... I will probably only ever just watch the theatrical cut uh, because the Shout, Shout Factory did a fantastic job. The The parts that are restored look absolutely stunning. Yeah, yeah. I will say you're not missing too much watching the director's cut. I do appreciate some of the scenes, and it is obvious when you were shifting over to the director's cut what those scenes are. Uh, it's obvious what the cut scenes are, but... I'm, some of them are are kind of entertaining, especially the 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 scenes with Ira uh, that got cut. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it's like you're not really missing a whole lot. Yeah, you're you're really not, and it is only six minutes that they cut. And uh, you know, I took some notes in here. We'll, we'll we'll talk about more of the notable stuff. It's mostly the the kills and things like that. Uh, but like I said, moving forward, I'll probably just watch the theatrical cut. But this is now. Same. In my rotation, uh, Myra and I watched it together, like I said, a few years ago, and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how much I loved this movie. And I just totally it just all came flooding back and everything. So I'm, um, I know I miss watching this with a group uh, because it it's much more entertaining yeah, that way. It is. When you watch it by yourself, you're like, "Ooh, this is disturbing. Yeah, it is. It is. With a group, you can laugh about it and go, OK, <laughs> this is horrible. But, you know, I'm. Then I'm able to laugh at it with my buddies. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, let's uh, you want to start with the director, Charles E. Sellier. Yeah, he has done not too many things. Um, you know, he he's 
actually produced, I think, more movies than he's directed. He's been pretty prolific as a, uh, a producer of various kind of, I think, more like documentary, TV movie, TV series type things. As a director, he worked on a movie that will be in the pipe. We actually uh, talked about it with the Cinema 9 guys, Cinema 9 podcast. That's a fun podcast if you guys are interested in another movie podcast. Uh, he directed a movie called The Annihilators. Yep, with uh, Garrett Graham and a bunch of other people. And we phenomenal cast. And yeah, it's a and it's a lot. It's a fun movie. Um, and like like Zach said, we did review it with the Cinema Nine uh, podcast guys, and it was a lot of fun. And we just basically shoved it back into our pile and kind of promised them that we wouldn't sort of you know review it anytime soon. So uh, Zach and I will get to the Annihilators uh, from 1985, but uh, you know it might not be. N- this year next year but we will get to it of course yeah you guys are gonna love that if you've never seen it you're you're in for a treat yeah it's a fun one and and by the way while we're talking about the director now famously on this film he was kind of squeamish and didn't want to direct the kills so he he didn't and he had the editor essentially uh michael spence he directed most of the kill scenes, most of like the the stalking and and all those stuff, and uh, so you know he doesn't get a director's credit on here, but yeah, he he's kind of like a second director on this. Yeah, and he actually directed a movie called Edge of Honor with Corey Feldman and Meredith Salinger in 1991. It's it's a pretty decent uh, kind of adventure thriller drama. I'm literally reading what IMDb <laughs> tagged it <laughs> genre wise. Um, it, it's one of those, you know, Don Swayze's in it, by the way. Um, I highly recommend checking that out if you want something cheesy, but you know, adventurous. She was in a dream, a little dream, right? She was, and she's married to Patton Oswalt. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cause I think, um, I've been seeing dream, a little dream pop up lately. Didn't I think Vestron or some Blu-ray, somebody just put it out on Blu-ray. So it popped up on all my feeds. Yeah, uh, Meredith Salinger, actually, you would know her from... Lake Placid. (laughs) Yes. And an upcoming Carpenter Factor movie, uh, you would know her from Village of the Damned. Oh, yeah, that's one I have not seen yet. Yep, and The Journey of Natty Gann. Who? The Journey of Natty Gann. If you've never seen that movie, that's a great kids adventure movie. Never even heard of that movie. What? you got to check. <laughs> oh, dude. John Cusack's in that. Ray Weiss, you know, from Robocop and yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lanny Kazan, Scatman Crothers. No shit. She, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got a phenomenal cast, and she's the lead in that. It's just, it's another adventure story, like a tomboy, you know, on on the run. It feels like a jack london type story um it's a disney movie actually huh. and i think it's on disney plus well and journey she, of natty again and i see that she's done a lot of uh voice work on clone wars and rebels she was uh barris offrey on uh on clone wars that she's that's a jedi knight uh awesome well hey guys and gals welcome to the meredith salinger podcast we'll be stuff we'll be discussing her all night <laughs> she's great by the way like her relationship with Patton oswald it's very sweet how they met each other and all that oh. i think i think they kind of documented it on social media a bit so okay Patton oswald's a funny guy i like that guy yeah no he's cool i like Patton oswald anyways back to the actual cast of this movie right well, we we could talk a little bit about it. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, I'm just going to go in order that IMDb lists 
with Lillian Chauvin. That was hard to say when I was cutting the intro, by the way. Uh, Lillian Chauvin, who plays uh, Mother Superior. Mother Superior? (laughs) Mother Inferior, Corey Superior. I will always know her as, as like the... Uh, the police technician from Predator 2, when Danny Glover brings her, like, the, the Predator, you know, weapon, and she's like, it almost has no weight to it. She will always be that lady to me. Uh, I do want to throw out really quick that the guy who plays Billy, uh, age 18, Billy Robert Brian Wilson, uh, he said that that she was hugely helpful to him because she was by trade an acting coach um i think in between acting gigs so she really took it upon herself to help him because he was a first time pretty much a first time actor in this but um so that's that's awesome there but keep keep going with with Lillian though what other things that she's been in well i mean she's got a resume of a, over 151 movies in in her belt and you know from the 60s uh and well, actually, before the 60s, we're talking she was from the 50s to uh, well, she'd passed away in 2008. But you had listed that. Yeah, notably, she was in Predator 2 for our audience. Yeah, for you know, uh, but I'd say in the 80s, she was guest starring on different strokes and heart to heart and facts of life and all of those shows. And then, you know, she was had a stint on um, you know Days of Our Lives for a couple episodes and lot of television but then got back into the movies with like predator 2 and universal soldier pumpkinhead 2 <laughs> pumpkinhead 2 was that the was that the subtitle blood wings or something yeah i think uh wasn't roger clinton in that they're like and starring roger clinton i, I think like, so what? Come on now. Anyway, she's been in a bunch of stuff. And I gotta tell, I gotta tell Myra because she was uh, Joey Tribbiani's grandma in one episode. And I swear to God, I just saw that episode, and I was like, "A friends? Why? Yeah, friends. Yeah, I was like, why does she look familiar? But oh my God, she was Joey Tribbiani's grandma. Of course she was. <laughs> Everybody was on Friends. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, exactly. Um, Gilmer McCormick, no relation to Aaron Don Gilmer, friend of the show, and. <laughs> podcaster as well manic movie monday podcast check that out uh gilmer mccormick plays uh sister margaret who i was hoping like at one point would pick up a gun i felt i feel like i wanted her to be more like maybe if they did this now she'd be the one to take down billy yeah you're right because that would be like the sort of the the cycle the circle is complete sort of thing yeah Yeah, I, i can see that you're right about that she she has a very short resume as well but when you look at some of the stuff she's worked on, it's very reputable, like Slaughterhouse Five and Godspell, Hill Street Blues, you know, stuff like that. Where the Burning Bed, like these are very notable, respectful type um, productions that she was a part of. It almost makes you wonder if the controversy in this kind of just made her step away because pretty much uh, she only had one movie after it, uh, and it was only a year later, 1985. So you almost wonder if they we're done filming it before the controversy happened and everything. And she might've just been like, well, screw this. I'm, you know, I'm out sort of thing. Yeah. Very, very possible. Very possible. Um, I'm just, I'll mention like maybe two more Uh, Robert Brian Wilson, obviously Corey mentioned he plays the adult Billy or the 18 year old. Um, He actually doesn't, he's been, he's had like little roles here and there, but nothing notable, nothing major. 
yeah, nothing like like an like a like an ongoing character or anything like that on a series. But I will say that right after this, he did go on and do an episode of Matt Houston, which we discussed on, on TV Obscura. And uh, yeah, he's he was on episode thirty something too. I remember that show and Perfect Strangers and stuff. So he was like Houston Knights. Yeah, I love Houston Knights. I saw that and Jake and the Fat Man and stuff. So he sort of bounced around. And then he stopped doing movies and, and anything for a long time, and he seems to pick back up in 2016 doing, like, Lifetime stuff and, and like, other other things like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe um, I, I know he, I think you mentioned it, he wasn't a fan of this movie, but he's come to embrace it. Yeah, so famously, he actually was a was a little bit of a detractor of the film around the time the controversy was happening, and he even said he you know uh, uh, told his family not to see it and stuff like that. But he's since sort of embraced the fandom ever since. Apparently, he went to a a screening at the Egyptian or something back in like 2010 or something like that, and saw the the turnout for it. And then he's like, oh wow, people, there's a fan base here, and people love it, and rightfully so. And so I think he's he's come around, and I think he actually. Does signings now and stuff like that yeah it's cool uh, i wonder if tony nero does signings <laughs> pamela she plays pamela <laughs> aka uh dimples for days as yeah. i like to say uh she was also on matt houston back in the day of course but i just want to i'm going to list off some of the, her character names for some of her tv shows and movies she, in matt houston she was maria in auto man which is a decent uh show by the way she played francine then she went on to play Greta in Benson, Terry in Knight Rider, Marsha in TJ Hooker, obviously Pamela in Silent Night, Deadly Night. She played a nurse in Scarecrow and Mrs. King. She played Raquel on Otherworld, a show we talked extensively about on TV Obscura. And then we interviewed one of its stars, Tony O'Dell. Uh, we that's also, right. We've also talked about Scarecrow and Mrs. King on, on TV Obscura as well. That, that's right. Yep. She went on to play a nurse again in Helltown. Then she played Barbara in No Dead Heroes. Uh, and I'm going to skip over this one and come back to it. She played uh, Faith in Bar Girls, I think, which is a TV series. And finally, in Commando Squad, she played Putita. Putita. <laughs> Putita. <laughs> if you've never seen Commando Squad, it's got Kathy Shower, Playboy Playmate, and Brian Thompson, Playboy Playmate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, and William Smith and Sid Haig. Sid Haig, yep. Like, if you've never seen this movie, go seek it out. It's 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 pretty amazing. <laughs> nice. Nice. Anyways, Tony Nero. So we got two more. We'll save the best for last, depending on how you look at it. Um, <laughs> Britt Leach plays Mr. Sims. He's the dad in Weird Science. Yeah, and he's also, he plays uh, like one of the trailer park guys in the, the Last Starfighter. He's also in The Great Outdoors. I mean, dude, like he's probably in this movie for me the second most recognizable person uh here uh, aside from who you're gonna call out next yeah yeah i think he played gary's dad right i think they i think he's gary's dad in weird science i think so too and by the way he was in sledgehammer which is a tv show that we will be bringing to tv obscura very very, very soon very soon mm -hmm. yes i tried to do that in sync with you we'll see, <laughs> we'll see in post if it matches up <laughs> we'll fix it uh, in last post. <laughs> right <laughs> fix it in post last but not least uh is well, she's fairly notable, I'd, I'd say. She's probably, actually, no, to be completely serious, probably the most famous scream queen of all time. Yeah. Linnea Quigley yeah. plays Denise, 
who spends 95% of her role naked. Yes, yes, she does. And, you know, I'm not complaining. Uh, we've already seen her twice. Uh, no, uh, gosh. So we've seen her in uh, from Podcast After Dark. We've seen her in Return of the Living Dead. We've seen her in, was she in Savage Streets or 315 the moment of truth which one savage trees savage you remember Treats. she was bl- uh blind in that, or mute deaf. deaf she was she was deaf, deaf in that and god. then we god damn it we just saw her in something else we have three i think at least three movies uh that we've done with her so she's she's at this point she's a podcasting oh um uh, uh, sli- uh the shorty babes of slime ball bowl rama so yes. she is a podcasting after dark all-star at this point she is <laughs> and and her acting is pretty much uh, stays the same through every single movie that uh, that she's in. Look, I, I got I got nothing against Linnea Quickly. I get it. I totally appreciate it. I'm just not a huge fan. I'm just not a huge fan. <laughs> I, Go listen to our sorority babes and slimeball bolorama breakdown for my true thoughts on <laughs> Linnea. I got nothing against her at all. Yeah. I think she. I I totally respect her as a as a. Per, as a performer i just you know she's just she's just not the best actor i mean it's it, it happens you know like you can't, can't all be uh i don't know uh layla with mother superior what's her name <laughs> i'm not even gonna try to say her name again <laughs> you're like i've already done that too many times credit to linnea she gets the most brutal death in this movie yes yes and probably i would say the most iconic no nah, nah. i'd say the the sleigh with the axe is probably the iconic one from this film Definitely the most brutal, though. Would you agree? Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Her uh, Linnea's death is the most brutal, and it's one of the ones that I think we see more of in the uncut version. And we'll we'll talk about it when when we get there. Yeah, don't need to see that. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, buddy. Do you have your uh, your your jingle bells on and your your boots strapped up tight? Are you ready to get it on? Oh yeah, I'm I'm sitting next to the warm side of, of the, the door. door. the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Did you say pull your thing? Yeah, I'm always always pulling my thing. thing. (laughs) (laughs) Pull that pud. Pull that pud, baby. (laughs) 
All right, the movie opens with an awesome animated logo uh, over kind of like a kid singing a Christmas song. I, I couldn't really place this Christmas song here, um, but, you know, it kind of creates this eerie, eerie sort of visual with uh, Silent it's really Night. really creepy. Night. Yeah, dude. It's really creepy. This movie, I'm like, okay, I'm already kind of scared. 46-year-old man, still kind of scared. I mean, it's it's an easy thing to do, but I think it works all the time when you have something ho- like a horrible visual with like kids singing over top of it. It, it. it makes for a great juxtaposition. There's not that many movies that show, you know, kids being super traumatized. And when they are, it's terrifying. <laughs> Salem's Lot, yeah. for example, super terrifying. This ranks up there. Yeah. Oh, man, we're. We got a wild ride ahead of us, guys. Gals. Strap, strap your mental self in. Yep. Uh, we open on an early '70s station wagon driving by snow-covered mountains in Utah. By the way, cool setting. The fact that it's Utah. I don't think I've really seen. Uh, it's funny that it's Utah because it's like, uh, yeah, perfect. Uh, but I've never seen that many movies shot horror films shot in in Utah. Yeah, and they don't... Or in that kind of country, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And, and they don't try to hide it. Like, they don't try to pretend that it's Los Angeles or something, you know, or or whatever. You Chicago. Know, Chicago or whatever. I, I like that it takes place where it's filmed. I dig that. Yeah, it feels a little open and barren. It does. And that and that adds to the, the creepiness of it. Yeah, there's a movie called... Um... The town that dreaded sundown. Yeah, I think. Yep, the town. Yeah, the, um, uh, with the, the the guy with the the mask, the the guy with the pillowcase on his head with the one eye cut out. Uh, that was where they got the inspiration for uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two when Jason had the sack on his head. It was it came from the town that dreaded that. It came from the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah, that movie. The trailer, I think, is 10 times more terrifying overall than the movie is. However, and I really like the movie a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like I haven't seen it in maybe about 10 years. But there's a bleakness about that. Something about, yeah, bleak towns, small towns. I feel like nowadays you could do this in some small town going up the five in California. Yeah. You know, where maybe like 600 people live. Yeah. And that's what makes it creepier. Yeah. And whenever we get to the Phantasm series, that's what I like about Phantasm is that it's, it's these little small ghost towns and everything. And when you say go up to five, that's exactly what I picture. It's something from Phantasm, you know? We're going to have to do Phantasm 2 in 2023 because it will be the 35th anniversary I'm, of Phantasm 2. I'm 100% down for that. And I think at this point... I mean, you know, Zach and I haven't locked it in, but I think we're leaning towards Don Coscarelli as our um, second auteur de force uh, possible. Got to be. Yeah, I got to be. I I think yep. that's kind of a perfect fit, you know. Yeah, it is. It's got to happen. Yeah. So, well, we have all next year to figure it out. So go check out The Carpenter Factor under the auteur de force tier. And uh, whenever we're done going through John Carpenter's films. It, the next auteur will will just will will name the next section, you know, but it'll all fall under the auteur de force tier on Patreon. Yes, and we're built up quite a quite a following on there. Yeah, everyone who subscribed to our Patreon loves it, so consider becoming one. Yeah, thank thank you all who who have. Yeah, my gosh, thank you everybody who signed up. If you haven't signed up, then fuck you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's fuck a you and Merry line. Christmas. <laughs> You've been naughty. There you, you go. Naughty. <laughs> Uh, so as the car's driving we see a title card pop up that says christmas eve 1971 so inside the car 
we see Dad, a.k.a. Jim, played by Jeff Hansen, is driving while Mom, a.k.a. Ellie, played by Tara Buckman, is riding in the passenger seat and holding little baby Ricky in her arms. Billy, who's about 10, is riding in the back seat. Uh, Zach, do we know uh, anything Tara Buckman's been in? Oh, yeah. Cannonball Run, baby. That's right. She was one of the uh, her and Adrian Barbeau. It's, was she, the, with, she was the one was in the that, passenger. Was I thought that was part two. Was that part two with them? Was that part two? Yeah, or maybe she she was with Farrah Fawcett. Okay, uh, one, right. I, I mean, she was one of the one of the, like the jumpsuit yeah ladies. Uh, yep, it is Adrian Barbeau and Tara Buckman were the you know. The, the sex- Just look up that GIF. Yeah, yeah, the sexy Lamborghini girls, right? They were driving a Lamborghini, right? Oh, yep, they were. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I haven't seen Cannonball that Run movie, in forever. By the way, that movie's PG. Oh. You can't show that to a little. You can't show that to a kid like you couldn't show a PG movie now. It's just not. No, it's. They're gonna be like, why? Why is that funny? <laughs> that that should be PG thirteen, right? Totally PG thirteen. Yeah. Oh, I love Cannonball Run. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I'm a fan of anyway, Dom so She's been she's been in a bunch of stuff. And then uh, some fans of our show will appreciate that she was in a movie called The Maryland Diaries with Marilyn Chambers when she tried to make a uh, kind of segue into mainstream movies, right. quote unquote. Yeah. Well, the the thing that I took away from this was uh you know they're driving down the road and she doesn't even have her her baby in a baby seat she's just holding little Ricky in her arms and to me I was like ah the seventies the seventies and eighties I mean yeah. shit that shit went on in the eighties too so yeah yeah it's uh, that tracks <laughs> and then the only other thing I I wanted to note is that the uh, the radio station took multiple times to say that it's like 20 degrees, but you can see that uh, one of the back windows is open while they're driving. And I'm like, that wouldn't be open when you when it's 20 degrees out. Maybe mom had hot flashes or something. <laughs> Maybe she was like premenopausal. Maybe Billy was having hot flashes for his Probably. mom. <laughs> the, they have the radio on and the DJ is talking about how it's going to be a clear night so Santa can find his way home. In the back seat, Billy is reading uh, Clement C. Moore's The Night Before Christmas. I had that exact book. So I'm watching this movie, and I'm just, like, sitting there, like, getting all these memories flooded back to me while I'm watching this, while he's flipping through the pages, and I'm like, I can smell that book. I know exactly what's on the next page. Dude, if I could fucking find that, I, I would I would love that. You're like, it smelled like pennies. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> What is that implying? Blood. Ah, uh, okay. Good. That's what I thought. <laughs> right, doesn't blood smell like pennies or something? That's what I, th- I thought you were going with that. <laughs> His book's pretty beat up, though, you can tell. Um, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Poor kid. Poor kid. I know. I know. Oh, God. The, the, I can't believe we're doing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the song Christmas Fever starts playing on the radio. As they are driving along, Billy looks up from his book and asks his mom what time it is. She says it's only 4.30 and they'll be at Grandpa's soon. Then Billy asks what time Santa Claus comes. His mom says, not until everyone is asleep in bed. Billy wants to stay up and see Santa, but his mom says it's naughty to stay up past your bedtime. Santa Claus doesn't bring presents to naughty children. Billy looks concerned and asks, what if we don't get home by my bedtime? 
His mom reassures him that they will make it home in time. Santa Claus is going to bring you a big surprise tonight. You just wait and see. Wow. Yeah, he's going to get a big surprise that will affect him for the rest of his life. And and affect a lot of other people, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Because trauma seems to spread. Ripple effect. That's right. We see the family drive up to a big building that says Utah Mental Facility. (laughs) God. And and all these buildings are like, like you said earlier, it's very desolate. Like they're out in the middle of nowhere. And especially the orphanage, it's just like this like building that's just on this like empty plot with like no trees or anything but a giant mountain behind it. It's, It's beautiful, but at the same time, again, you said it, very barren. Yeah, when you look at the the notes of IMDb and they're like, well, this location still exists. It's now a fitness gym or whatever. You're like, that's great. Doesn't doesn't mean anything. And then they're like, oh, no, nah, this location's deserted. Oh, this location's deserted, too. It's empty. <laughs> the and building's like, still there, but it's deserted. There's homeless people in it. God. You know, you drive up and down, like, the, the, the highway in California, and you see these areas, like these old diners that are just, like, boarded up empty and you think man there was a time when this place was happening and that time is gone <laughs> and that time has moved on yeah especially uh when you drive from la to vegas there's a lot of those little stops there and, and stuff and like if you're out in victorville area and it's uh yeah it's it's that's not for me my man it's not for me no i was just, i stopped in uh we, we were actually on our way back from vegas to california and we stopped in this old diner, like this Route 66 diner, I forget the name of it now, but it's got like a dinosaur museum in the back of it as well. And the place you walk in, there's like so much history and it looks like maybe 20 years ago, this place was the coolest place to be back in the day. And they've got photos of celebrities on the wall, but from like 1970 <laughs> and the people working there are just look beat up and tired tired and old everyone's wearing covid masks and you're just like oh this is so sad and they've got you know uh seats reserved for people but those people are dead like huel hauser by the way the guy who's like that's amazing who would drive up and down california coast and visit all these you know hot spots and it's like, man, I, I want these places to flourish and I want this mental institution to flourish, but it doesn't. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's, yeah. yeah, dude. How disturbing is that, that they're bringing their kid, by the way, to a mental, institu- men- to a mental institution on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, well, and I actually like a the, mental hospital. Sorry. And, and I do like the questions that Billy asks uh, uh, soon. So, yeah, it is disturbing. <laughs> I'm with Billy. I'm pro Billy. Me, me too. hundred percent. Um, side note, it's interesting that this movie, your protagonist is also your antagonist and it's, it's, that's a hard line to walk, but this, this does it. I think this movie actually pulls it off. Yeah, it really does. I agree. It's, it's kind of like, you know, sleepaway camp where, well, you don't know, but so many of those other slasher movies, you didn't know who the antagonist was until kind of the end the big reveal right this one you know from the onset yeah it's it's pretty much all on the table from the get-go you know it which makes it uh you cut above the rest and different agreed because especially since like the first 25 minutes of this film is just his origin story it's basically and you need it 
to to set up what happens to him, but also to make him sympathetic. Because if you don't have all of this, then then you're just like, well, then who do I care? Who am I rooting for here? You know? Yeah. So all yeah, Reb Brown, Reb Brown when he was a kid, teenage Reb Brown. <laughs> exactly. What he looks like, by the way. Yeah, he does. I agree with you. Inside, a doctor takes them to see Jim's dad, Billy's grandpa, played by Will Hare, in the in the recreation room. He's just sitting in a chair, wearing his pajamas and staring straight ahead blankly. The family gathers around Grandpa, and Jim asks if he can hear him. Grandpa doesn't flinch. Ellie says they brought Billy and little Ricky to see him. Still no response. Why doesn't Grandpa say something? Billy asks. His mom says that Grandpa doesn't know he's there. Then then what did we come for? And his mom shushes him. Right? Then what did we come for? I'm with Billy. I wrote that line down because I'm just, yeah, it, it's a great line. And you're like, yeah, Billy. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, dude. Ask the questions we're all asking. Yeah. <laughs> From the mouth it's of like babes, that scene right? In, yeah. I mean, it, like, what's the point? Yeah. Well, there will be a point. The doc- oh, yeah. <laughs> the doctor says to Jim that he has his father's records and they can review him in the office. Ellie tells Billy to wait with Grandpa while she and Jim and little Ricky go to the doctor. Billy looks worried, and again, I would be the same. And, uh, and Mom says, don't worry. Grandpa's not going to hurt you. They leave Billy standing next to Grandpa, who's sitting in his chair looking straight ahead. Once everyone leaves, Grandpa blinks, then looks at Billy and smiles. When Billy calls for his mom, Grandpa grabs his arm tightly and tells him to be quiet, then proceeds to scare the crap out of Billy, as we will all hear in this clip. Grandpa? Mom! What do you want her for? She can't help you? Nobody can. You're scared, ain't you? You should be. Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year. I'd be scared too, if I was you. You know what happens Christmas Eve, don't you? You know all about Santa Claus. He brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that, didn't he? Well, I tell you something. Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty. Naughty. All the other ones. All the naughty ones. He punishes. What about you, boy? You've been good all year? You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run, boy. You better run for your life. Dude, Oof, that was dude, terrifying. Dude, so, dude, here's the thing. 
I want to know what Grandpa's backstory is. I want to know why he's faking it, and I want to know yeah. why he himself is so scared of, of Santa Claus. Yeah, I it's it's makes me wonder. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. And how cool is this scene? Uh, the actor Will Hare. I mean, how freaking awesome is his deliveries here too? Yeah, that that guy was in Back to the Future, by the way. I think Just, he's you know I think he's notable. the one that uh, that when Marty went back in time, he knocked over his fence or his trees or whatever. I think so. Yeah. But yeah, dude, that scene's intense, man. And and if you thought it couldn't get worse, oh, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. As soon as everyone comes back from talking to the doctor, Grandpa goes back to being catatonic. Jim kneels by his dad and says they have to go home, but they'll see him soon. As everyone is walking out of the room, Billy hangs back for a second then whispers into his grandpa's ear, I'll be good for now on, I promise. And then grandpa doesn't blink. Cut to the family driving their station wagon home at night. Jim is driving while Ellie is sleeping in the passenger seat and Billy is wide awake in the back seat. He asks, Mommy, were you ever naughty when you were little? She wakes up and says, once or twice. Billy asks if Santa Claus ever punished her. Ellie looks back at him and asks uh, where he got that idea from. Billy says, Grandpa said Santa Claus was going to punish me. Ellie and Jim look at each other, and Jim asks, You think Dad could have talked to him? Ellie says, I don't see why Billy would lie. Maybe we ought to call Dr. Conway. And I got to give this movie props, and I got to give the parents props. I like the fact that they believe Billy right out of the gate. They don't just say, Oh, he's a dumb kid, and and, yeah, he's just making it up. I like that they believe him. Yeah, it's kind of a first. That that never happens in movies like this. It's very refreshing. Just like the beer you're drinking. Touche. <laughs> Billy gets upset in the back seat and yells out that he doesn't want Santa to come. He's scared. Ellie is... Santa wants to come. Ellie is getting <laughs> upset and tells Billy to calm down. Grandpa is nothing but a crazy old fool. I love how Billy gasps. He goes, oh. that was great. <laughs> yeah, the acting, the little, the the kids in this movie are actually really good kid actors. Dude, I that's another thing I was going to call out. All the versions of Billy, I think, are fantastic. Yeah. And it's refreshing to see kid actors from the 80s who don't look pretty. Yeah. Actually, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, too perfect. Well, uh, all that sounds terrible. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> it's so refreshing to see kids that are look like kids look normal like nor i know i know what you mean it's just like how now like every there's no like fat character actor anymore they're all like buff they all have perfect teeth and, and hair plugs and everything because they all they all want that marvel money you know and it's, yeah that's why that movie summer of 84 i think works because those kids actually look like kids yep Agreed, dude. Agreed. And we uh, we re- reviewed that all the way back in season one. And then we also interviewed Caleb Emery. So go check that out. Yep. And Stephen Kostansky, by the way. Yes, exactly. But again, I love how the kid gasps and he goes, Mommy, you shouldn't <gasps> have said that. It's naughty to say bad things about old people. Santa Claus will punish you. And then Ellie and Jim just sort of look at each other in silence. Yeah. And the dad's like, I'm going to punish you. Oh, <laughs> Cut to a person dressed as Santa, played by Charles Deercop, walking into a gas station. Now, Zach, when I first saw this, I was like, man, I recognize that guy's eyes for some reason. And uh, do, you, do you see what he's been in before? Does anything jump out at you? I mean, this that dude's been in a ton of things. First of all, his IMDb photo is amazing if you look him up. Um he, he actually looks a little bit like Randall Tex Cobb to me at first. Yes. Uh, but 
he's he you know looks like that quintessential biker tough guy menacing looking dude he's been in everything from the sting to butch cassidy and the sundance kid like those two very notable films right there the guy's still alive by the way um the, he terrified me the most out of everybody in this yes. billy doesn't terrify me billy doesn't terrify me at all at the least bit but but charles deer scares the shit out of me still does to this day and uh randall tex cobb was he the bounty hunter in raising arizona he was, yeah. But all in Charles Deercop again was in Matt Houston, which is hilarious. <laughs> Dude, good old Matt Houston, man. Fucking Ooh, love, love that show. Go go check out the TV Obscure episode. That was a fun ass show, man. Yeah, but he's been in stuff since like the the sixties. So uh wow. Charles Deercop, born in nineteen thirty six. God damn. I mean the guy is rocking and rolling. Well, maybe maybe we can have him on here and, and talk to him. Yeah, I'm sure he's accessible. The attendant sees him and says sarcastically, well, ho, ho, ho. I don't get enough of this shit on the radio. It has to come into my store. Santa says, uh, later I'm going to change his name to Killer Santa, but for now, just Santa. Santa says, what's the matter? You don't like Santa Claus? He hands the attendant uh, the attendant a few packs of looks like black and milds, I think. Uh, the attendant says, eh, <laughs> good for business, bad for my stomach. A lot of phony sentiment. You know what I'm saying? He pauses and looks at Santa and asks, what charity are you with? Then Santa pulls out a gun and aims it at him. The attendant says, what the hell are you doing that for? Santa replies, I'm holding you up, asshole. The gas station attendant pretends to be reaching for money, but is actually going for a gun. He says, so it's not all phony sentiment, is it? A lot of it is genuine greed. The attendant pulls the gun out, but Santa shoots him in the chest, sending him to the floor. Which was dumb because Santa like had the gun already pointed at him, and this yeah. guy has to like bring it up and everything. You ain't gonna win that draw. No, and he doesn't. <laughs> so Santa shoots him in the chest, sending him to the floor. He then reaches into the register and grabs the cash. The attendant brings up his gun again, but Santa shoots him in the chest and then in the forehead for good measure. But that was a good uh, forehead squib. I wrote the same thing down. Like brain shot was cool. <laughs> Yeah, dude, dude, we're we're on we're on the same wavelength tonight, man. Same peen. <laughs> always, brother. Always, always. <laughs> As Santa's walking back to his car, he looks at the money and says, "31 bucks." Merry fucking Christmas, and he drives off. <laughs> I mean, so this is the point where, you know, you go, "Whoa, shit!" This is really already pushing the boundaries of of <laughs> of like exploitation. You know, terrifying, the terrifying Christmas story. Now this, you know, robbing Santa Claus. Things are pretty fucked up. They will continue to get more fucked up. Yeah. I honestly think like the first 20 minutes of this movie are the most exploitative. The last, you know, three quarters of this movie are fairly tame in comparison to everything that goes on early on in this movie. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, I love this whole movie, but my favorite part of it is the first 20 minutes, like all the setup part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not just Santa. It's also the kind of bashing on Catholicism mm. and religion. Yeah. You know, the hypocrisy yeah. of it, Yeah, especially which in the eighties was very much a hot button issue. Nowadays we question all of it. 
But then there's all those people who are like, well, the reason our country's a shit is because we do question religion. Well, no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not the reason. No, but, trust me. But good try. Nice try. <laughs> good try, Chief. Good try. Good try. <laughs> Go watch your Megan and Harry show. Exactly. 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 Cut back to the family driving the station wagon. Ellie, Billy, and Ricky are all asleep while Jim is listening to the radio. Ellie wakes up and asks Jim how the drive is going, and he says, uh, still got a ways to go. Just then, Ellie spots something on the road. It's the killer Santa from the scene prior, standing next to his car and waving for them to stop. Terrifying. More so because we know who he is. That's what makes this entire scene, like the moments leading up to everything, scary because we all know we're all screaming, drive, drive, but they don't know that, you know? I have this feeling now, Just this just popped in my head. I have this feeling I might have seen this movie when I was a kid, but I blocked it out trauma-wise because it scared the shit out of me so much. There, Because there was, I don't remember the movie exactly, but there was some movie that I saw parts of that made me wake up in the middle of the night with night terrors. And my mom had to turn the shower on to like steam the shower up because I was hyperventilating. This could have been that movie because it was, I remember a guy with an ax. That's all I remember. Dude, this this might be it. (laughs) Guys and gals, we might be pulling back a new onion layer for Zach. Let's let's see what stinky layer we can find (laughs) underneath. If you don't deal with your trauma, you'll never get over it. I I mean, this movie, that's literally the thesis of this movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No joke, no joke. Wow, dude. If if my mom and my brother actually listen to this podcast, because I don't think they do. Nah. Uh, she, she, they your mom does like all the, the posts we do on Facebook, though. God bless my mom, <laughs> but, but but I don't think she does. Well, my, my mom likes all of our posts, too, so and she doesn't she, listen she, either. My mom listens to the Joni Mitchell's The River over and over and over again on repeat. Uh, moms. <laughs> can't, can't, can't kill them. Can't be born without them. <laughs> but yeah, this, this, this moment in the movie is so traumatizing. It is. It's so traumatizing because it's like you know what's going to happen. You're like, don't pull over. Don't pull over. No, nothing good is going to come from it. So creepy with like the kind of the faded light a little bit, mm-hmm. and you know you can, he's, he's not crystal clear in view. Well, and and you know we didn't call out the DP, but um, I mean I think you know again we we talk about how this movie is kind of a a standard slasher fare, but there's so many elements that are that make it better than it has any right to be, and we call it out the writing is one thing. Um, I think that the cinematography is, is, he does a solid job in this movie, and I think that's another aspect of this film that just elevates this movie to another level. Yeah, when you got, you know, good DP, that's... Uh... <laughs> got to, got to have good By DP. the way, so uh, Henning Scheller, up. Shuller up. He, well, he was an electrician on Halloween 4. Job's a job, yo. Um, he worked on shows like The Adventures of Nellie Bay and The Time Machine TV Movie. Oh, my God. From 1978, which starred <laughs> John Beck. Uh, I mean, like, this guy's got a great mustache. Anyways, he's done a lot of different things. Produced as a cinematographer, though. He worked on The Annihilators and uh, Snowballing, which was also directed by Charles Sellier. So Charles Sellier likes to work with him then. Yes. And he worked, uh, yeah, he's actually got pretty decent resume as a cinematographer. Dude, I mean, you know, he's, he's no Cundy, but he's still pretty damn good. 
I mean, who is a Cundy? <laughs> Jim and you're a Cundy. I'm a Cundy. You're a Cundy. Uh, Jim and Ellie get excited as they see who it is. Jim says he must be on his way to a party. Do you think we should wake up Billy? Little do they know, Billy already woke up in the back seat and is terrified by what he sees. He yells, Santa Claus! Jim pulls over the car while saying, looks like you get to see him tonight after all, Billy. Billy yells that he doesn't want to see Santa and to keep going. Killer Santa walks over to the driver's side window. Jim rolls it down and says, need a ride, Santa Claus? Santa says, no, not exactly. I ran into a little bit of lousy luck. He pulls out his gun and points it at Jim. Ellie screams for Jim to drive and Billy ducks down in the back seat. Jim slams the car in reverse and peels out, but Killer Santa gets off two rounds into the windshield and the car crashes into a ditch. Billy gets out of the back seat and runs to some bushes without Killer Santa seeing him. Ricky is crying. Killer Santa opens the driver's side door and Jim falls out dead with a bullet hole in his head. Killer Traumatizing. Dude, and his like eyes are open and he's looking up and everything. And, and we're going to see this image multiple times in flashbacks and stuff too. Killer Santa then runs to the passenger side and rips Ellie out of the car and throws her on the pavement while Ricky is still in the front seat crying. Killer Santa rips open Ellie's shirt, but she smacks him. He hits her back, dazing her. Then he pulls out a switchblade and slices Ellie's throat while Billy watches. Killer Santa walks into the middle of the street, holding the bloody knife, yelling, Where are you, you little bastard? Billy covers his eyes while a gospel song, Sweet Little Baby, plays, and the movie fades into the next scene. Dude, the dad gets capped in the head, falls out of the car. You see, he's like looking up. So you know Billy sees his dad dead. Mom gets sexually assaulted. Then her throat slit. Like, who, who how does... My God, it's just hit after hit after hit. Yeah, I could see why people were offended. <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean you should pull it, but no. just don't watch it if it offends you. Exactly, agreed. And that's I think that's how we feel about a lot of things. It's like if you don't like it, uh, look, I don't like torture porn. I don't watch stuff like Human Centipede or Saw or stuff like that. And I saw, and a lot of times I don't think there's any value to like stuff like Human Centipede. But I will fight tooth and nail for that movie to exist. I don't ever want to censor it because I don't believe in that. If it wasn't for movies like this being made, we wouldn't have other movies that took elements of this, but not some of the other elements that we probably could leave on the table. Like I, I honestly would cut this scene down personally, but, uh, or edit it a little bit. Cause it's just like so over the top. It's just so, especially seeing kids get traumatized, but it totally justifies and explains the trauma that Billy has. So I understand why it is. It's just really hard to watch. Yeah. And I, and I've, from my understanding on the documentary, uh, talking to the, the writer, um, basically he started with, you know, the scene basically in the toy store where, where Billy goes crazy, you know, that's like, was sort of his starting point, but he was like, okay, we have to figure out how he gets to that point. So he literally kind of wrote from that point backwards. And then he kind of wrote in these 10 year chunks, you know, kind of like little, and that's almost why it kind of feels like vignettes here, like where there's yeah. time stamps and then moving forward, there's sort of no time stamps after that. You know, I feel like it's, that's because of why, of how he wrote it. Yeah, and again, the, the kid actor is really good in this, and the next kid actor is really good 
as the uh, you know twelve-year-old, the the mulleted twelve-year-old Billy, yeah, sweet mullet. He's got a great mullet, sweet little baby. <laughs> is so is that song real or is that uh, another one that was made up for the for the movie? All of these, I'm Shh. I'm fairly certain that every song in this movie is written and made for this movie. Fuck, that's... which is really great. Even the carolers, by the way, I think are singing a song that was made for this. So, so which just goes to show you that you could fucking make a song, a Christmas song, anytime you want. <laughs> and you know, if that's the case, and all this stuff was made for this, there'll never be a problem with fucking music rights for this movie. Right. Exactly. Oh man, that I, honestly finding out that elevates this movie for me. All these songs, honestly, all these songs, fucking are—they're all bangers, man. They're all fucking awesome. I think so. I think they're really good. Fucking Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's got a great fucking score, man. Yeah, give me this soundtrack for Christmas anytime, along with uh, the train song. The Christmas Christmas time is great. Um, I love that song, that train. It's Christmas time. My my new ho ho ho. My new favorite is uh, Gingerbread Man by Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, I mean that's a banger too. Well, new to me, I kind of just recently discovered it. And because growing up as a kid, I kind of have an OCD thing with uh, Bing Crosby. Uh, Christmas is always just Bing Crosby. And it's only within like the past few years that I've branched out into other Christmas songs. And then I discovered that same Davis Jr. one. That's literally like my new all time favorite Christmas song. Oh, man. Yeah. There's, I think Marvin Gaye has one. I forget what it's called. Anyways, yeah. So many great. Prince has a great Christmas song. We see a new, like I said, the the so the song "Sweet Little Babies" uh, uh, kind of segues into the next scene, and we see a title card uh, that says December nineteen seventy four. We see a two story building in the middle of nowhere, like Zach says, out in the middle of fucking nowhere, so desolate. A sign out front says "St. Mary's Home for Orphan Children." Inside, we see a nun teaching a class of kids. She asks to see Billy's Christmas drawing. He walks up to put it on the chalkboard uh, with the others, but when he does, a girl in the back of the class screams and points, Sister, look! When the nun sees the drawing, she tells Billy to take it down and go see Mother Superior immediately. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) And now, back to the show.
Cut to Mother Superior looking at Billy's drawing. It's a, it's Santa Claus dead with a bunch of swords and knives in him and a decapitated reindeer. Mother, <laughs> real quick, I drew a drawing like that once, but it was uh, the Punisher shooting some cops. I think they were bad, but my parents were a little bit disturbed that I was uh, drawing pictures of people getting shot and everything and then took me to... Uh, to like a gun safety class, you know, because they and the cool thing is they didn't try to take away my Punisher comics or anything like that. Um, but I did a gun safety class with my dad and we went and shot a revolver and everything. And I was like, oh, this is neat, but I'm just going to go live in my fantasy comic book world. And I, as a kid, I always had a pretty good uh, separation of fantasy and reality, even though I lived in a very like in a fantasy world in my head because I was sort of alone all the time. But I still I wasn't interested in like real violence. I didn't like faces of death and stuff like that. I don't like I don't like any of that stuff, but I loved comic book violence and I loved movie violence. Look at you now. My parents are so proud. They should be. <laughs> they should. They should be. I tell you. You didn't take it out and actually do it to people. <laughs> exactly. Like you and I are both already one leg up, you know, in society because of that. <laughs> they call that a win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, mother, mother Superior is appalled and asks Billy to explain himself. He says he's sorry, but she shoots back. Are you? I don't think so. But you will be. <laughs> you. You will be. <laughs> It's like Yoda on Empire Strikes Back. You will be. Anyways, that, that, felt, that felt dead on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that felt you dead on Yoda for Empire Strikes Back, and I'm, I think of that bad lip reading, the Seagulls song. Nah. Have you heard that? Nah. Seagulls, stop it now. No. He said, he sees, uh, he's, he's, goes, one day I was walking and I saw a log, and I looked underneath the log, and there was a stick, and I thought that log had a child. <laughs> Anyways, you got to see this. It's hilarious. But okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyways, so <laughs> I'm totally lost at this point. Uh, <laughs> sorry. You will. You will be. Oh, here it is. She says, you will learn what it is to be sorry. Now go to your room and stay there until, until I tell you to come out. Billy says, yes, Mother Superior, and leaves. God, I hate religion. Sorry. I, sorry. No offense to anybody who's religious. But it's so fucked up, man. I know. I know. And I like that mother uh, or the sister Margaret is trying to help him. But but yeah, it's it's Mother Superior does a fucking number on him. And it's kind of weird. She doesn't get the comeuppance that I sort of wanted her to get at the end. But uh, nope, because probably we're still controlled by religion. And she was they were like, well, we can't do that to her. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be pushing the envelope too much. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. <laughs> we can kill a deaf priest but we can't kill a <laughs> can't kill a, a, a mother superior <laughs> a deaf Jeez. priest dressed as santa claus in front of a bunch of kids but no no we can't kill mother superior no uh we also see another nun is in the office with him it's just like i said it's sister margaret played, played by gilmer mccormick uh she's looking at billy's drawing she says you finally have what you've been asking for mother superior proof mother superior says of what sister margaret of what I've been saying, this is all inside him. All that terrible violence he saw. His draw drawing clearly shows that. Mother Superior shoots back. I'm not interested in what you think. I thought you finally understood that. Cold-blooded. <laughs> she, she, go so I know. she goes on. 
simply because something unfortunate happened to his parents, which he knows nothing about, is no reason to allow him to run wild. He must be taught. Sister Margaret looks concerned and says, but the memory is still there, waiting to come out. Mother Superior doesn't back down, and if it does, and if he has received proper training, he will know how to cope with it. Margaret pushes back that it may be too late. It gets worse for him every Christmas. Mother Superior says that she will take charge of Billy personally. It won't be a problem for much longer. Margaret looks more concerned and says that Billy needs help. He'll get it. Good day, sister. And Sister Margaret gets up and leaves the office. So Sister Margaret's 100% correct about everything. And Mother Superior is 100% wrong about everything. 100%. And and before anyone goes, you're not pointing out the sequel to Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 because Mother Superior's in that. Like, let's just say that this is a standalone movie. She doesn't get the come up and she deserves it at the end. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I have never seen Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Now, I know about Garbage Day, <laughs> but my question to you is, and I don't know if you actually know, that's Ricky, right? Like he Garbage Day is. guy is Ricky grown up, correct? Yes, and Mother Superior factors into part two. Okay, okay, cool. Honestly, I might just pick up part two on Blu-ray because I am so thoroughly in love with this film. I really want to see what happens to Ricky. And, and of course, I also want to see the whole Garbage Day meme that I've seen now a million fucking times. Well, and to throw it back to Meredith Salinger, uh, if you look at Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3's poster, it looks an awful lot like Meredith Salinger on the poster. It does. But it's not her. It does. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, wait, is that is that her? No, but it looks like her. An- another uh, j- uh, brunette girl, brunette brown, brown eyes. But, but yeah, she's got a very distinctive nose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. Anyways, and they've made, what, four or five of these movies, so... Yeah, they, um, I think the fifth one, the the Toy Maker one, that one had Mickey Rooney in it as this, like, demented toy maker. And the irony is that he was one of the most vocal uh, 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 people outspoken about this movie here. So when that movie came out, a lot of people cried that he was a hypocrite. Yeah, totally hypocrite. Well, I'm sure he didn't even know what the fuck he was doing. People are like, well, it was probably a different title. And and, and that's when people speculate that that it was probably filmed under the Toymaker title. And then they just tacked on Silent Night, Deadly Night to, to make it a, a sequel in name only. Because um, yes. I think uh, one through four, because I think part four is uh, what Chop, Chop Top, uh, um, Bill Mosley. I think he's in that, but I think he's Ricky. I think he's playing Ricky in part four. Well, part four has Clint Howard in it, Okay. first of all. It's got Reggie Bannister in it, which is, uh, and it's directed by Brian Yuzna. Oh, so, wow. uh, we may need to get, I mean, we need to check that out. I kind of feel like we do. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Maybe, just maybe, I'm going to bring a new uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night for the next, like, four years to uh, every <laughs> December. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least part two. Let, let's do part two, because... Okay. Because uh, Clint Howard plays Ricky in part four and five. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, guys and gals, I think we might know what we're doing next uh, next Christmas for my pick. As Bill Mosley's <laughs> at Rick. Bill Mosley, Ricky in part three. Oh, it's okay. He's in he's in part three. Got it. Okay. Okay. 
Um, yeah, and I think they, I think Vestron just released a, a three pack that has parts three, four, and five all together um, with uh, the guy who does a lot of the cavity color stuff, uh, Devin. Daros, I forgot the artist's name, um, but he's the one that did this Silent Night, Deadly Night shirt that I'm wearing now. I think he did the cover for for that Vestron movie as well, Blu-ray. <laughs> Everyone's like, will you get back to the fucking I, movie, I, please? Yeah, sorry, but guys. It's all relevant <laughs> stuff, guys. <laughs> and the movie's only like an hour and 20 minutes, so we're going to get yeah, there pretty quickly. What are you talking about? We're done breaking it down. It's over. Guys and gals, it's over. <laughs> we'll catch you on the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> Merry fucking Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas. Uh, <laughs> um, up in his room, Billy watches all the kids play outside in the snow. He goes back to his bed and sits down. Just then, Sister Margaret walks in and tells Billy that he's been locked away long enough. She asks him to come out and help her, help them build their snowman. But he says he can't. Sister Margaret sits on the bed next to him and tells him that Mother Superior only wants what's best for him. And what Sister Margaret thinks is best is for Billy to go outside and play with the other children. She's not wrong. Billy says okay, and Sister Margaret leaves the room and closes the door so he can get dressed, even though he is dressed. As Billy puts on his coat and scarf, he walks out into the hallway, but stops because he hears moaning in the distance. Oh, God. Billy slowly walks down the hallway following the noise. He finally comes to a door and looks through the keyhole. Inside the room, two teenagers are having sex. And my entire life, and even my viewing with my wife, I thought that that girl was the nun, Sister Margaret. Because she kind of has that, she has like the same face, the same short hairstyle and everything. And I know that it's not, but I'm still not convinced that it's not the same actress. Yeah, and Corey's making like a beating off symbol with his hands <laughs> while he said that. I'm sure that was a Freudian slip. Hey, man. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not I'm, sure that. I <laughs> love me some non-sploitation movies, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, I thought that too at first. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, that's not her. And at first, because the first shot is like of their feet yeah. kind of touching yeah. each other. And the feet look, the, the bottom, which is supposed to be the girl, they look awfully young. At first, and I'm like, oh boy, is this going to be really? Because I kind of forgot because I hadn't seen it in such a long time. I'm like, oh, is this going to? Oh, it's a teenager. Okay. And, and so they're just other orphans, right? Essentially, they're other orphans okay. from the Warriors. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, they are other orphans. And my God. <laughs> yep. And so as Billy is watching. Poor Billy. Yeah. As Billy watches the act, he has flashbacks of his mom being attacked. Just then, he's violently thrown away from the door by Mother Superior. He kind of, like, hits the fucking wall, too, and everything. Yeah, because, you know, nuns are physically abusive. Yes, I know. I'm Not all. I'm just... Not to generalize, but to generalize. But to generalize, and I'm with you there, buddy. Don't, <laughs> yeah. I, my 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 disdain for organized religion is just as as much as yours. Don't don't yep. you worry. Um, before she she throws him like so she throws him back against the wall. Before she barges in the door, yelling at the young couple, she yells, "You filthy devil!" and grabs the boy's belt. You'll pay for this punishment. And then as as a kid, I didn't quite put together a lot of these things and, and whatnot, but okay, I get it now. Later on when Billy yells punishment and everything and punish, he's 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 parroting parroting um, Mother Superior. And, yes. And she's whipping them both and yelling devil. So yeah, this is some fucked up shit. Even more fucked up, outside, Sister Margaret is watching the kids play 
Mother Superior bursts through the door yelling for Billy. Sister Margaret says, don't blame him, Mother Superior. I told him to come out. Mother Superior shoots her down immediately, then tells Billy to come over to her. Little Ricky asks what's wrong, and another kid says, your brother's a nutcase. That's what's wrong. <laughs> Sister Margaret tells him to be quiet. Mother Superior asks Billy what he saw. He says, nothing, Mother Superior. She asks, do you know what they were doing? When he says no, she says what they were doing was something very, very naughty. They thought they could get away with it without being caught. But when we do something naughty, we are always caught. And then we are punished. Punishment is absolute. She looks at Sister Margaret and goes on, punishment is necessary. Then she looks back at Billy. Punishment is good. Yes, Mother Superior. Mother Superior looks down at Billy. You left your room. Very, very naughty. Cut to Mother Superior, hitting Billy with a leather belt in his room. Once she's done, she tells him to go to bed and stay there. God damn. On the warm side of the, the door. door. <laughs> God damn it. I love it. Fucking love it. <sighs> gotta have a hook. Now we got our hook. We do, baby. We do. <laughs> Later that night, we see Billy having a bad dream, kind of like you did as a kid, having his night yep. terrors. My God. <laughs> Dude, seriously, my mom's steaming up the shower, so I, I was hyperventilating. Did you wake up screaming and try running down the stairs? I didn't try running down. I was upstairs, though, I but I remember she got me, and she's like, and I was flailing, and yeah, it was violent. Do you remember how old you were, or do you, do you think you can roughly guess about how old you were? I was nine, eight or nine years old, maybe, no, nine, nine or ten, actually, nine or ten years old. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a few you're a couple years older than me. This was eighty four, so maybe you saw you might have seen it on VHS or something, or maybe caught it on cable. Yeah, yeah, my brother was watching all sorts of stuff that I definitely should not have seen. Yeah, and uh, and it, yeah, it scarred me for a bit. <laughs> but you turned out just fine. <laughs> well, I did thanks thanks to my therapist, who looked a lot like jo uh, James Brolin, by the way. No shit. And I told him that he's like, I get that every time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this guy would talk about himself for like forty five minutes, and he's like, Okay, our session's up. I'm like, Oh wait, but, but we didn't get. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next time. Next time, I guess. <laughs> and keep billing mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was all good. Uh, yeah, the trauma was real for sure. And so I see this and I'm like, I, of course, this this poor kid, this poor kid. This poor kid. And, you know. Sweet little baby. And, I mean, again, like we said, this is all necessary for us to still connect with Billy when he goes on his rampage and everything. And and I when, when we get to that point I do want you to, I, I'm going to ask you, and I do want you to sort of think about it. Are we still connected to him at that point? But let, let's, no. let's, let's discuss it when we get there. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not. They just go, it goes off the rails at that point. Uh, so Mother Superior <laughs> grabs him before he can get down the stairs. She takes him back to his bunk bed. Jesus Christ, it gets worse, guys and gals. She ties his arms and legs down to the oh. four bedposts with towels. Come on. Jesus. I mean, and then Billy is calling out for Sister Margaret to free him, but Mother Superior tells him to leave him alone, and, you know, Sister Margaret just has to turn out the light and close the door as Billy's yelling out for her, man. This is, it's all rough. This shit happens to people nowadays, too, though. Oh, yeah, no, I don't think any of this stuff ever goes away. I think, you know, we... Like people we, still do this. People still do it, and it just kind of gets hidden occasionally, and if it pops up, then that person gets in trouble, but I think nine times out of ten, it just gets hidden, and the, the kid just pushes down the trauma and 
probably just grows up to be probably a bit of a dick, you know? They just grow up to be a kind of an asshole, I'm sure. Yep, and they make a TV series about it on Netflix or Hulu. Exactly. There you go. Docudrama. Yeah, yeah, if you're lucky. The next day, all the kids in the orphanage are downstairs by the Christmas tree opening presents while Mother Superior watches and says to herself, I see nothing but greed where there should be gratitude. But I'm like, well, gratitude's a Yeah. What do you you expect, Mother? Yeah, exactly. They're orphans. Uh, Sister Margaret and Billy come walking down (laughs) the stairs. Mother Superior asks Billy Billy if he's ready to behave properly. He says, yes, Mother Superior. She seems pleased and tells him to go find his present. Mother Superior says to Sister Margaret, We will have no more trouble with him. You will see how well my methods work. Sister Margaret reminds her that he'll improve once Christmas is over. He always does. Mother Superior says that Christmas isn't over. They still have the annual visit from Santa Claus. She continues, Billy will sit on Santa's lap and behave. You'll see. Mr. Margaret, Mr. Sister Margaret looks at her in shock. Rightfully so. It's coming. Cut to later that day, and Billy is being dragged by Mother Superior over to Santa, kicking and screaming. She plops him down on Santa's lap and tells him, You will learn gratitude. Say thank you to Santa Claus. The whole time, Billy is yelling no and throwing a fit. Billy finally jumps off Santa's lap, but he's like kind of holding on to Billy's arm. So Billy punches Santa in the face, laying him out with one hit. All the, I wrote, yeah. All the other kids gasp as Billy runs upstairs. Ricky tries to go after him, but Sister Margaret stops him. Santa, with a bloody nose, says, what the hell is wrong with that kid? By the way, great right hook, though. I, that's what I wrote. <laughs> Fucking lays out that motherfucker. <laughs> that was a great hit. And, and by the way, this is a, a different take than what I grew up with. So here, I guess back in the, the early 80s, at least in Utah, um, so I guess you get the presents from Santa and then Santa visits later so you can say thank you to him as opposed to visiting Santa early and asking for something. Is that a real thing? I, that I don't know. This That's what I'm saying. This is I had to... Figure it out. It's like, they already got their presents. Why is Santa there now? I never heard of that. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Makes sense it's to me. Margaret's way. It's Margaret's way. <laughs> it's Margaret's way. Upstairs, Billy runs into his room, then hides in the corner saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be naughty. Don't punish me, please. He looks up in horror as he hears Mother Superior's footsteps walking down the hall. The camera freezes on his face. Ugh terrifying rough man rough that's the worst part of the movie and i don't mean that in a bad way yeah it's just the worst part of the movie (laughs) and fortunately it's over that was the cold side of the door (laughs) yeah up until this point that was all the cold side of the door now we're gonna be on the warm side of the door (laughs) that's right thank god the picture slowly fades into a toy store a title card pops up that says spring 1984 10 years later so this is kind of where the screenwriter started and then everything after this, you know, he worked forward and then everything he worked backwards essentially to, to just figure out how we can make, you know, or how we can be sympathetic to Billy and figure out where he came from, you know? Yeah, no, it's good. It's all good stuff. Sister Margaret is talking to the owner of Iris Toys, Mr. Sims, uh, played by Britt Leach, as Zach mentioned earlier, about hiring Billy for the holiday season. He tells her he can't hire a boy to work in the back room hauling crates and boxes around. The job is for a man. Sister Margaret agrees that that's no job for a boy, then calls Billy over to meet Mr. Sims. He protests, 
but then sees that Billy is a grown adult and practically eye fucks him. Mr. Sims says he's always helped, happy to help the church and he'll hire Billy. I got a little, like, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I got a little, uh, you know, I got a little eye fuck vibe from uh, Mr. Sims. Little uh, Gordon Jump from Different Strokes episode. There you go. Yep. Yep. I got arcade games in the back, why don't you? Let's do a photo shoot. Let's do a photo shoot. That's a, that's a, that is such a, that's an infamous episode. Yeah, we might have to do a traumatic TV Obscura episode. I was I was just thinking that, like, yeah, an infam- infamous TV Obscura episodes or something like that, yeah. Yeah. yeah we should. <laughs> uh, cut to a montage. Here we go, <laughs> guys and gals. Oh, my God. Cut to a montage of Billy working around the store while the warm side of the door plays. I'm looking for the warm side of the door Where the fire's bright and it's burning every night It never gets old, my friend. Nope. We see Billy doing a great job. He's helping customers and other employees. He seems to get along with everyone. We also see, we're going to talk about this. We also see some awesome 80s uh, toys. I uh, call out whatever you noticed. I noticed the G.I. Joe costume, the Jabba the Hutt playset, Castle Grayskull, and so much more. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, Mr. Sims is taking apart a G.I. Joe uh ship uh, uh i don't know what it is i thought it was that Maybe. helicopter that single person helicopter that cobra had with that gun turret on the front you know yeah he's like dumping the 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 he's dumping the insides on the table or whatever yeah. the <laughs> contents yeah there, it, it, it is there was a toy store when i was a kid that uh kitty world was the name of the toy store very similar to this where it's just like you know, rows and rows of toys. And I remember loving to go there all the time and just like, I could just sit in the toy aisle and look around. It reminded me of that, like an independent toy store. They have some of those actually still up and down the coast every now and then you find like a, a random toy shop. Um, man, I miss those places though. They're, they're, they're small now because it's just, it's just not a thing anymore. But Ira's is, it's great. It's, it's great. And this montage is so heartwarming and fun and it's a great way to time jump because you know he's been there all a couple months or something i think at that point yeah yeah Yeah, it's like building up to the holidays and to the moment where things will hit the fan but i mean we do have to address the the elephant in the room it is a mentos commercial but it was this is before mentos so you can totally see that mentos those commercials were basically aping these things you know the these montages in the early 80s like this now i don't personally remember seeing one as lively and jovial as this especially in a slasher film but i got mentos vibes the whole time in, in the best way possible oh yeah this this is a brilliant montage yeah. i mean that sincerely mm-hmm. it's really well done 
It's it's so cheesy, but it's so effective because you're supposed to show how sweet this guy is and how he's going to turn. It's it's such a great way to show that he's eventually going to crack because he's never dealt with the trauma in his life. Well, and especially because we see that that you know Billy might have a crush on Pamela, played by uh, Tony Nero, um, but we also see how uncomfortable he is when they pull out the Santa Claus banner, like Merry Christmas and Santa Claus's faces on <laughs> That's there. So great. And he he does, he has a great facial expression. He goes from like smiling to just being slightly terrified, slightly disgusted and disturbed, and it's just like yeah. He he does a great fucking job in this, to be honest with you. Yeah, for a relatively first-time actor, yeah, fantastic. At the end of the montage, Billy goes back into the stock room only to be confronted by Andy, the resident dick, played by Randy Stumpf. And, uh, Zach, anything notable from his IMDb? I mean, the guy's been in a ton of TV shit. He's been in a ton of TV shows from Battlestar Galactica to Happy Days, Too Close for Comfort, Bosom Buddies, Greatest American Hero. Yeah. I mean, stuff, great stuff. Great stuff indeed. And he play, Yeah, he plays the kind of classic jerk-off. There's always got to be one jerk-off, and he's the jerk-off. Jerk-off. Yeah, jerk-off. <laughs> I, I understood that reference. That's but, what I call you. But he definitely has the whole Napoleon complex thing going on because he's, he's, he's a little dude. He's a little guy. He's a little, he's a little muscular guy. Yeah, yeah, and he's apparently he's got away with words, though, because he gets – he gets Pam, Tammy, Pammy, Tam- pa- Pammy, Tammy, family. <laughs> Jesus. I want to call her. I want to call her the character from. Um, I was going to say com- Commando Force or whatever. What was her name? Putina. Putina. Putita. Putita. <laughs> hey, he's got a way with words with Putita. Uh, sorry, uh, Pamela. Putita. Putita. I just want to call her Putita. Maybe Putita is, uh, you know future for uh pamela in like another dimension <laughs> yeah yeah where she Putita. she doesn't get uh, gutted like a fish uh yes, and Putita, and- what a great name <laughs> andy says just what the fuck do you think you're doing now billy replies you shouldn't talk like that oh well excuse me ann landers that's a that's a dead reference what is it with you lately <laughs> billy <laughs> billy says literally <laughs> dead because i think she's dead right <laughs> yeah i think so had a good run, though. Yeah, she had, yeah, she had a good run. Billy... Haven't heard that in a while, have you, Crystal? <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Billy says nothing is wrong. Andy goes on, I'm going to level with you. When you came here a couple months ago, you were an all right kid. But all of a sudden, you've got this fucking attitude problem. Snapping at me all the time. You're staring off into space like some moon goon. I want to bring that back, by the way. Yeah, Moon Goon's pretty fresh. <laughs> That's awesome. Good one, dude. Billy asks Andy to just leave him alone. Andy gets in his face. When I leave you alone, asshole, none of your work gets done. Billy says he doesn't care about his fucking work. This pisses Andy off more. Is that so, wise ass? Billy says, just leave me alone, and walks out of the storage room. Uh, Yeah, it's like, well, he, Andy still is your boss, though. You do have to actually care about your work, but okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, Putita, Putita tried with him, but uh, tried to cheer him up. He's just, he's, he's cracking. Yeah. He's cracking, rightfully so. Yeah, he's, 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 this is what happens with unchecked PTSD and trauma. Yep. 
Uh, so he walks out of the storage room and into the front part of the store, only to find Santa sitting at his sleigh, saying, ho, 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 to everyone that comes in. Billy has flashbacks of the killer Santa and stumbles back, knocking over a toy display. Pamela comes over to him and check. Pamela, Putita, what was her name again? Putita. Putita comes over to check him, check on him and, uh, and can tell that he's startled. Billy says that he's okay and she helps him to his feet. Pamela says she'll clean up the mess and asks if he's all right. Billy says he's never felt better as he's trembling and goes walking off to the back storage room. And oh, real quick, it's not just like the Castle Grayskull playset. There's all these like weird, like not weird, but like like He-Man advertisements that were amazing too. Like all these little promo. But yeah, it's promo stuff and everything. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's cool. That was the I was more excited to see that than the actual like playset box and whatnot. Because you you know you see the Castle Grayskull box nowadays, but you don't see like some of the promo stuff anymore. Because that shit that shit just got all thrown out. Like no one kept that shit. You know. Yeah, I mean Scott Zillner kept all that shit, but that's about it. Yeah, he did. Uh, oh, by the way, there the, the the crawl board game, the crawl board game was also amazing to look at too. Okay, dude, I didn't pause it and I didn't rewind it, but I was looking down to take a note and i saw in my mind's eye i go did i just see crawl and i looked back up and it was gone and i was like i didn't i that was i didn't see anything crawl the fact that you just mentioned it just blew my mind so there was a crawl board game there yep there was a (laughs) there was a crawl board game uh and i think milton bradley put it out probably it is i mean you can get it on ebay for a decent price um and yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's Parker brothers ah, put it out. Okay. Um, game of heroic adventure. And then you look at it and you're like, that's, ah, it's got one figure. I think it's got like the, the, the main like hero and he's got his, oh no, it's the monster and, and the, the hero. Yeah. The little game pieces. Um, oh wow. Yeah. 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 And then they come with, you know, the, the generic little, tops and stuff like that but yeah um i haven't seen crawl since i was a kid so but the spinning board it, like the game board is the actual crawl uh oh, the 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 clave or whatever that is the blade yeah. thing yeah good stuff yeah that's that's crazy i haven't seen crawl since i was a kid either i think talking back might have covered it a couple years ago um didn't it didn't ignite any sort of fire inside of me to go to go see it but it was never one of my favorite ones but i think crawl is one of those movies that like people love to uh nostalgia is one hell of a drug kind of thing where it's like not as good as it actually you know people think it is that's kind of that was kind of that's kind of my takeaway from that one so unlike cloak and dagger which is way better than everyone remembers it is <laughs> still need to see that one my friend i still oh need my to god see i know i know i know and i want to see it because you love it naughty <laughs> there you go there you go uh so cut to a dream sequence of billy and his hairy hairy ass in bed with pam oh so much hair on that ass and, i mean not gonna lie i got hair on my ass too but like that's a lot of hair to be shown on screen it is and since it's like sort of angled from down to up like we're t- getting totally like the inside of the butt crack hair and everything it it's like it's taint practically yeah, dude you can pretty much almost see his goddamn butthole <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he's, he's in bed with Pamela uh, Putina. Putita. Putita. 
<laughs> As they're having sex in the dream, Killer Santa comes up and stabs Billy in the side and then, like, rips the blade down the body. That's actually pretty cool. Um, Billy does wake up in his room screaming. Uh, he gets out of bed and he kind of curls up in the corner like he did as a kid. And he keeps saying to himself, I, I want to be good. Don't punish me. So, again, we're, we're just keep they keep reiterating the trauma and everything. And you get the sense that he's living maybe in someone's house. Yeah. They didn't they didn't need to go there. They could have, but uh that would have added another fifteen minutes of the movie. Movie's good as it is. Yep, movie's just fine as it is, because we only have like thirty five minutes left. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Kill, 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 kill. Done. <laughs> Back at Iris Toys, Mr. Sims is talking to Miss Randall, and this is when he's he's he checks out a return G.I. Joe toy. Yeah, the, the helicopter one. Yes. Uh he says to her, Only one more day and this Christmas crap is history. She says, I hate to ruin your party, Mr. Sims, but a teensy problem has arisen personnel-wise. He tells her to do something about it solution-wise. She says it ain't that simple. One of the employees broke his ankle while ice skating. Mr. Sims tells her to call the temp agency and get someone down here. She reminds him the temp agency only has women. This job requires a person of the male persuasion. Then points to the empty Santa sleigh behind them. Ah, now Mr. Sims gets it. Cut to the storage room, and Andy is giving Billy shit for disappearing on him yesterday. Kind of, you know, rightfully so. It is still his job. He says that if he pulls it again, he's going to go straight to Mr. Sims. I don't think you realize this, but I'm giving you a break. That's a hell of a lot more than he'll do. Sims is nobody's friend. Remember that. Just then, Mr. Sims comes barging through the door, and Andy sort of shoots up from his desk. Mr. Sims goes right to Billy and asks how he's doing. Billy says he's doing okay. Mr. Sims moves on from the small talk and says, Listen, Bill, the reason I dropped by, I've got a little problem maybe you could help me out with. Billy says, Of course. Anything you want, just tell me what it is, and I'll be glad to help out. A fantastic, I mean, this is just textbook editing right here. Yeah, it's great. Cut to Mr. Sims and Mrs. Randall looking very pleased at Billy dressed as Santa Claus. Billy, on the other hand, is looking at himself in the mirror and having a this-is-my-nightmare moment. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sims tells him to be jolly, lots of ho-ho-ho, and try not to scare the little bastards. Sometimes they cry their heads off. I guess they think the old guy's scary. Silly, isn't it? Billy looks at himself in the mirror and says, yeah, silly. Now, again, for a first-time actor... The, I mean, the hardest thing to do is play these subtle facial expressions, and he's fucking nailing it. He is, and and you got to remember, even though he looks like he's 25, he's 18. He's still a kid. So the character Billy is doing pretty well holding his shit together, all things considered. I mean, seeing how he's wearing the outfit of the person that murdered his family. I mean, dude, I got to say, he's probably doing better than I would have handled it, that situation at 18. Yep. Yeah. Because, and, and by the way, if anyone's curious, the actor was 22 at the time when he was doing this. So close enough to 18. Yeah. It's not like nowadays when you'd have like a 35 year old playing 18 year old. You know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's so like, oh no, 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 no. It's groan inducing this scene. Cause you're just like, no. poor kid you're like what are you doing to him you know but they don't know no one knows yeah no it's not their fault either agreed agreed um so now billy dressed as santa and he's going to be dressed this way for the rest of the movie 
is sitting in the sleigh while holding the little girl in his lap. Line of kids are waiting for a chance to talk to Santa while the parents just look on. The little girl on Billy's lap is very upset. He keeps whispering for her to stop. Do you have any idea what you're doing? You're being naughty right on Santa's lap. I don't bring toys to naughty children. I punish them severely. The girl looks at him in shock. Stop it or I'll have to punish you. One of the parents says to the other, he sure knows how to handle kids. Mr. Sims looks very pleased. Billy gives the girl a candy cane and she hops off his lap and goes over to her mom and hugs her. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is too, like I've heard that from parents before. Oh, you're so good with kids. And then it's the people who are good with kids are the ones who are actually like, stop doing what you're doing. Stop being a little shit. You know, not in that they don't say that. Right. But because so often people just let kids run amok and act like little assholes. It's true. Yeah. And the ones who finally put their foot down and were like, no, stop, knock it off. Stop being like inconsiderate. And, you know, so part of me is like watching Billy. I'm like, I would never say that to a kid, but, you know, this is how you get a kid to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Stop no, I... it or you'll be punished. Oh, I never did that, by the way. I, I never thought in a million years you would have. <laughs> but just like, don't be an asshole. Note, note to kids and adults. Don't be an asshole. Be kind. Yeah, that's kind of like the golden rule, isn't it? Don't be an asshole. Now, I will say the lady that says, uh, you know, says he's good with kids, she had a terrible fucking haircut. Actually, both of those women had fucking terrible haircuts. 1984, probably pretty accurate. Yeah, probably. In the back storage room, Andy answers the phone. Who? No, Billy, Billy doesn't work back here no more. Sure, I can tell you his new job. Ho, ho, ho. He's playing Santa Claus for a bunch of snot-nosed kids. And we see on the other end, it's Sister Margaret. She hangs up the phone and looks very worried. Gee, I wonder why. She's like, I know what's coming. I've seen this movie. Cut back to Iris Toys, and Mr. Sims is locking up the store. Seven o'clock! It's over! Time to get shit-faced! And <laughs> real classic. quick, you own a toy store... You think you'd be super thrilled this time of year because this is when you go into the black. You know, this is when you make all of your profits. And they're closing at 7 o'clock. If you're the only show in town, you're probably making a decent living. And you're probably dealing with all the town's kids all the time. Yeah, I feel it. He's he's doing just fine. And I've had small work parties. It reminded me of working at Video Man mm-hmm. and Robert Balzer. We're going to have a work party. Oh, God, really? Did he, did he get you drunk? Did he did he get you, like, liquored no, up and everything? No, he did not. I don't think so. How old were you when you worked there, Video Man? 18. 18. Ooh, you were Billy. <laughs> I was Billy. <laughs> he was Mr. Come Sims. Here. <laughs> yeah. Want to hear my trauma stories? Listen to uh, Tales from the Video Store. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> I know a lot of those stories. You've told me those, like, when we were hanging out and everything. My God. Yeah, you know the stories of Robert Bolzer. Oh, mm, I do. Mr. <laughs> Schaefer, Scooter. Can I tie your tie? Oh, God. Man, oh, man. I was definitely not on the warm side of the door. <laughs> you were on the situation. cold side of the door. <laughs> With Robert. Oh, God. 
Yeah, so Mr. Sims, he runs behind the, the register and pulls out a couple bottles of liquor. And you can notice there's actually more bottles of liquor down there. Yep. <laughs> While other employees set up for the party. Some of these employees actually survive because they leave early. They do. <laughs> Pamela walks over to Billy, who's still dressed as Santa and is sitting on the sleigh. She, oh, Billy. She tells him to join the party. Mr. Sims hands Billy and Pamela both drinks and tells them to drink up. Billy does, and Sims pour and Sims pours him another drink. Stick with me, kid, and by the time the party's over, you'll think you are Santa Claus. Oh boy, <laughs> Pamela Putita. Putita Putita looks at Billy and smiles. As everyone with is, her dimples, she is very dimply. As everyone is singing Christmas songs, Andy whispers something to Putita, <laughs> and they break away from the party. Billy watches them intently. And I see that, and I'm like, come on. I know it's cliche. Didn't have to be, like, he's practically got his hands down her pants, and and, and then she's like, I thought you were giving me a present. All, acting all innocent. Yeah, and honestly, I think all of the characters are enjoyable. I think most, for the most part, they're all really well-written, except for Andy. I think he's the most, like, generic, like, one note. He's just one note, and it's he just he's stereotypical of the time and everything. And I know people like him exist and everything, but you know I think it would have made the story a little bit interesting if they actually gave him something nice, like something. You know what I mean? Well, he doesn't he doesn't really interact with Ira at all. No, no, he doesn't seem to. No, which is interesting because yeah. he talks shit about Ira, but do you never see scenes with him and Ira? Except for the one time when when he busts in through the door and then he jumps up, you know. But he, but Ira doesn't yeah. even talk to him, you know. Nope. So there's a small time lapse and Billy is standing in the corner holding his drink, aka holding his dick. Well, this this is another thing too. Alcohol adds to his his trauma, fuels his trauma. Yep, you're not wrong. A shit faced Mr. Sims walks over and asks what he's doing. <laughs> Billy says he's just thinking about his parents. Oh, good. A boy should think about his parents at Christmas. Good boy. They're dead. <laughs> Mr. Sims apologizes, then changes the subject. Hey, Santa, you better sober up. You got a long night ahead of you. Billy just looks at him and says, huh? You remember what Santa does at Christmas Eve, don't you? Billy looks off and says, yeah, I know what he does. <laughs> God. Mr. Sim says, better get started. He rubs his head and looks around. Fucking party's dead anyways. Then he hits... I mean, come on. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> then he hits Billy in the arm and says, go get him, Santa, and walks away while Billy stares at Andy and Pamela walking into the back storage room. Now, Zach, we talked about how the uncut version obviously puts back in a lot of the violence, but it also puts in a lot of these small character beats right here and adds a little bit more to the conversation and stuff. I like what it adds to the... Honestly, I would prefer to keep the the, the stuff it adds to the characters more so than, than the violence itself, you know? Yeah, because I think a bunch of this was actually cut out. Yeah. The scenes with him and Ira. Yeah. So I would have kept all that because I like it. It seems like the bulk of what was trimmed was in Ira's toy store. Yep. And I would have kept a lot of that. Me too. Me too. Honestly, me too. By the way, it did. I appreciate that Shout Factory went, you know, so far to, to get all this material and source it and put it back in. It's awesome. But it just reminded me a little bit of the Cabal cut that everybody was like, oh, my God, did you see the Cabal cut? And you're like, yeah. 
We did. Yeah. 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 And I'm still going to go with the theatrical release. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm, you know, when I was younger, man, I used to be 100% all the time director's cut. I want to see everything that, that, you know, was cut or whatever. Um, I'm 100% with you, man. When, when, when I was watching this the first time, you know, and, and it was this, you know, unprocessed footage put back in, I was having my own PTSD for the cabal cut because guys and gals, you, me, I guess, I think it was Jeff, we all sat through like a three-hour cut of Nightbreed. And let me tell you, 90% of it was unprocessed footage because they would take a scene. If the scene had, if the whole scene had just like 30 seconds extra to it, they would take the whole unprocessed scene instead of taking the regular part and then tacking on the unprocessed part. Dude, we watched it on the big screen at the Egyptian. It was fucking rough. Yeah, I felt like they rushed it. They're like they 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 had such a boner to get this out to everybody, and and they didn't take the time to clean it up because they kept even saying they're like, trust us, the, when the 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 dvd comes out or blu-ray or whatever like it won't look like this and i'm thinking then why did you show this in the first place yeah yeah you know this is feels like a test screening <laughs> yeah it did it really really did and it, it probably was i kind of felt like i wanted my money back because i'm like this is, you know clyde barker came out and talked about it obviously but still yeah yeah womp, womp. no i'm with you buddy that was um that was that was one of our lower lower movie points <laughs> in la <laughs> We were definitely on the cold side of the door. It never gets old. Nope. In the store. It's almost as good as Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> almost. Almost as good. Almost. And almost oh. as good as Bump in the Night. Uh, by the way, that is still my favorite song from a movie that we've reviewed uh, from Witchboard. Yeah, we might just have to do uh, Friday the 13th part, what was it, 5? Just to get that, I'm no animal, no animal <laughs> with you. That's a good one, too. <laughs> no, man, just just to get that song. Oh, Anyways. man, some some real bangers out there, man. You can't even yeah. get them somewhere, too. So Nope. <laughs> In the storage room, Pamela tells Andy that uh, he got a present for it. Nope. In the storage room, Andy tells Pamela. I wrote it wrong. I'm keeping all this. In the storage room, Andy tells Pamela that. Petita. Uh, Petita. <laughs> you killed me. Killed me. Sorry. <laughs> I fucked up so many times. In the storage room, Andy tells Petita <laughs> that he has a present for her. Petita tells Andy that if he got her a present, he can just bring it out where everyone can see it. Andy laughs and says, Pammy, which I guess would be Putiti. Putiti. This particular present really isn't for everyone to see. Something I've been wanting to give you for a long time. This is like what sleazebag 101. My dick. <laughs> Andy points to the back of the storage room. Come on. It's just right back there. Hey, trust me. You're going to love it. And she follows Andy. Ugh. Cut to Billy staring at the storage room door while Mr. Sims and Mrs. Randall sing, Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, soon you're nodding, now you're sleeping, were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad, there might be a treat for you in Santa's bag of toys, but Christmas won't be fun and games for naughty boys and girls. I fucked up the second half of that, but I think I nailed the tone it's of the first one. close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, Billy puts down his drink and walks towards the back room. That that song, by the way, that they're singing, I'm like, oh, 
again, I think it's an original song and I want to learn it to sing it <laughs> to Bodie. Well, and it's, I mean, it's also perfect because it's yeah, all, all the Santa stuff reminds you that he's going to get you if you're naughty. Yep. As he's walking through the door, he hears Putita say, stop it. He follows her voice as she keeps saying, don't do that. Stop it. Please, Andy, no. As Billy walks around the corner, he sees Andy kissing her neck and chest while she's trying to get him off. Hmm. I'll rephrase that. While she's trying to get him <laughs> off of her. <laughs> yes, well, you know, it depends because she's so upset with Billy. Maybe she likes it. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think no. I don't think we should be talking no. about that. We're getting we're getting canceled. We're canceled. <laughs> Andy rips her sweater open and laughs. Pamela smacks him in the face. Andy says, "You goddamn little bitch," and forces himself on top of her. And yeah, this, yeah, this is rough. Now she doesn't like it. Billy has flashbacks to his mom being assaulted by the killer Santa. He kind of like starts shaking. All of a sudden, he stops shaking and looks over at Andy with cold eyes. Billy yells, Naughty! And tears Andy off of Petita. Petita. Billy then grabs a row of Christmas lights, wraps them around Andy's neck, and picks him up and hangs him with one arm, all while Pamela's watching. Billy drops Andy's body to the ground and turns around to look at her. She's crying and says, God, you're crazy. Billy says in a daze, I had to stop him, Pamela. She hits him and tells Billy to get away from her. He grabs her and pushes her back against the wall. Back in the storefront, Mr. Sims hears the commotion and says, Do you hear something? Mrs. Randall says it must be his imagination. No, he said, he said, Do you hear what I hear? <laughs> I hear the sound of Billy killing Putita. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. He's gonna gut her like a fish. <laughs> Pretty much. Back in the storage room, Billy grabs a box cutter off a shelf. Oh, God. And when she tries to run past him, he grabs her by the neck and says, Punishment is necessary, Pamela. Punishment is good. And he stabs her in the stomach with the razor blade. Ooh. Then Billy slices up towards her chest, gutting her like a fish. And this is one of the things that were cut. I think they showed it stab, but then the upwards, uh, you know, motion of the slice, that was the footage they added back in. Understandably. Yeah. It's intense. Back in the storefront, Mr. Sim says, I heard something, by God, and goes back to investigate. Cut to Pamela looking up at Billy as she slowly falls over and dies. Like... I thought that was a bit more traumatic. Like, if they just cut back and she was dead would be one thing. But, like, she's, like, looking up at him and crying as she, as, as essentially her intestines are fucking coming out, you know? I mean, you don't Ooh. see that, but, you know, that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Sims stumbles into the storage room and asks if anyone is there. We see Billy walking around in the darkness. Mr. Sims drunkenly decides it was a false alarm and goes to leave, but Billy pops out of the shadows holding a hammer. Mr. Sims screams, and we see blood spray all over a box. Mrs. Randall starts calling out for Mr. Sims, but gets no response. Just then, the main lights go out in the store. The Christmas lights and decorations are still on, though. Mrs. Randall goes back to the storage room to look for Mr. Sims. As she's drunkenly looking around, she sees the body of Mr. Sims. 
the sharp side of the hammer still embedded in his skull. She screams and backs out of the store, backs out into the storefront area and runs for the front doors, but they're locked. We see Billy grab an axe off the wall. Mrs. Randall goes for the phone, but Billy cuts the line with his axe. She screams and runs into the dark store. Billy looks for her while reciting the night before Christmas. He then sees her the hat she's wearing from behind a shelf. He sneaks around and swings his axe, but it's a trap. Mrs. Randall busts out from her hiding place and knocks Billy over. She picks up his axe while she runs past him and heads to the front door. And this is why I took the note. Mrs. Randall's no dummy. I like that she picked up the axe. I like that she dupes him. Like, as far as, like, you know, uh, someone who's going to be killed in a slasher movie, I think she's putting up a good fight right here. Yeah, there's like there's another guy who gets kind of an upper hand on Billy later. Poor man's Billy Zabka. <laughs> yeah, dude, I know you're talking about, dude, and I love that guy too. It's, I I like that Billy isn't like a flawless killer, you know? Yeah, he's kind of like a scream killer if you think about it. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Wes Craven was like, you know what? I want to make them a bit more human and realistic. I and maybe saw this and was like, yeah, I can kind of mine some of these ideas here. Yep. She goes to break the front window with the axe, but Billy screams no. Mrs. Randall looks back, and Billy has a bow and arrow aimed at her. Well, I guess he just has the arrow aimed at her. She gasps and turns around to break the glass, but Billy lets loose the arrow and hits her square in the back. Miss Randall turns around with the arrow sticking out the front through her heart. She falls over dead in the front of the store. Billy unlocks the front door and walks out. A short time later, Sister Margaret comes through the front door asking if anyone is there. She looks around the store, then sees Mrs. Randall dead and screams. I like this whole part. I love the, the entire Toy Store scene. I love, um, but even uh, the actor, the, the actor who played Billy here, he said this was his favorite scene, basically the chase through Mrs. Randall, because he's like, you know, the other parts of the movie, a lot of times I just kill the person and sort of move on. But here's like, he's like, I had to do stuff here. You know, I had to like walk. I had to like emote and do things and i think as an actor he got more of a kick out of the the stalking part of this scene yeah yeah and obviously he had more meat as far as the acting is concerned yeah exactly leading up to this yeah twisting and cracking they could have set the whole movie in the toy store really yeah and i think that would have i don't think that would have been a problem at all nope when billy walked out he walked out of the warm side of the door because <laughs> it was covered in warm blood yeah, there you go. And it's all the cold side of the door now. And as a kid, even like the other viewing that I did, a, you know, a couple of years ago with, with Myra, I kind of was like, how, like, why, what is he doing? And I, I put it together now. He's walking back to the orphanage. Like he's heading in a direction. I didn't like, cause as a kid, I didn't sort of understand like, how did he wind up at the next house and then, you yeah. know, in the woods and stuff, but I'm watching it now and I'm like, Oh, he's, he's, it's a path. He's heading in a direction, you know? Yeah, straight. Mm -hmm. Straight line. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? 
Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut to carolers singing in front of a house. See that one girl is making some wild facial expressions. Yeah, I mean they're all they're singing I, what I think is an original song again, and they're really putting their heart into it. They're belting it because this is their their chance for fame. Yeah, you know? they're doing it, baby. They're doing right. it. The camera slowly zooms in on the house behind the singers, then crossfades into a basement rec room where a young couple is making out on a pool table. The girl is Denise, played by Linnea Quigley. We still hear the caroler singing outside. The guy, Tommy, played by Leo Getter, says uh, he can't concentrate with that noise and gets up and turns the stereo on. Uh, Zach, anything noteworthy from uh, Leo Getter on IMDb? Yeah, yeah. I mean, poor man's Billy Zabka (laughs) has actually been in quite a few... TV series and movies, everything from Empty Nest, Near Dark, by the way, yeah. No Way Out. Um, he was in a movie called Slaughter of the Innocents, which I highly recommend if you're a fan of Silence of the Lambs type stuff. Okay. Um, Scott Glenn is in that. Scott Glenn is like the the main uh, agent, and it's it's good. Slaughter of the Innocents, highly recommend. But yeah, the guy's still working to, to today. Well, actually, no, sorry. Last thing he was in acting-wise was uh, Penny Penny Dreadful in 2005. Okay, okay. But yeah, he's still pretty much probably still active. Well, what was the name of Scott Glenn's character in uh, The Keep that we reviewed in the first se- season? Glaken. Glaken, that's right, Glaken. Yeah, I love, I love me some Scott Glenn. Also... Empty Nest, that's a show I used to watch when I was a kid. I That's why I brought it up. I For some reason, I'm like, you probably like that show. Weirdly. Christy McNichol was in that, yep. and yep. the other female lead was, I had a huge crush on her back in the day. Yep, yep, remember that? And then who was, the dad was that old, he was like, he was like, the for me, as a kid, I always thought of him as sort of the poor man's Ted Knight, you know, because he had that white hair and everything. Yeah, he was like a if uh, if uh, oh god, Ted, Ted Knight and Leslie Nielsen had like a kid or something together. It was him. Yeah, I thought I was thinking of um, uh, if Dick Van Dyke had a had a love child with them as well. Um, Richard Mulligan, Richard That's Mulligan. Right. Yeah, and if you've ever seen the movie Teachers, he's great in that. Yeah. He was on Soap. For, yeah, that was. But yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Richard Mulligan. I I think. You know, I, every time I saw him, I always sort of remembered him from uh, from from Empty Nest is sort of where I where I knew him from. 
And Dinah Manoff was Dinah Manoff was the other female in that. She was in Child's Play, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh man, she got killed in that. I think. Yeah, she was the one that goes out the window, right? Yep, yep. I think so. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Why not? Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. So, so Tommy, Tommy be doing shit, man. And uh, by the way, Tommy does some shit in this movie too. So he puts up a fight, but we'll, we'll don't get... worry, guys. Yeah, he's gonna put up a fight. We'll, we'll get we'll get to, we'll get to that. Uh, but first, Tommy gets back on top of Denise and unbuttons her top. While they're making out, Denise's little sister, Cindy, calls to them from the upstairs and uh, says she wants to stay up and see Santa Claus. Denise tells her to go back to bed right this minute. Cindy starts coming down the stairs, but Denise puts on her top and tells her if she doesn't go back to bed, Santa won't come. Tommy says he's not the only one. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. Cindy's- I mean, th- th- this is like as close to a porno as you get dialogue wise. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, no, no. This is It's great. It's great. Cindy says, OK, and goes back to her room. Tommy says back to our studies and takes Denise's top off again. <laughs> Two ball in the corner pocket. <laughs> it's gold, Jerry. Gold. It's gold. It is gold. As they're going at it, Denise hears bells coming from outside the house. She thinks it's the cat, so she puts on her pants, not her top, mind you, and leaves Tommy in the basement as she goes upstairs to let the cat in. Denise opens the front door topless and calls for the cat. She's about to give up and close the door, but the cat runs in. And I like this, too. I like that Billy's not already in the house. Just then, Yeah, me too. Just then, Billy pops out with his axe and yells, Punish. Denise screams and closes the door, which kind of reminds me of when Ford Fairlane closes the medicine cabinet on Snapperhead. Hello, nah. hello. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So great. Uh, but, but, uh, but Billy, he, uh, he uses the axe to burst through the door. So, you know, that's, that's all good. Billy chases Denise into the den. She stands by the fireplace with nowhere to run, and Billy throws his axe at her. It hits the wall right next to where Denise Linnea Quigley is, and that is a real axe uh, being thrown by a like a by a professional stunt person. I think probably an axe thrower, but that's really Linnea Quigley standing really like you know a, a half foot and a half away from it. It's a good stunt, though. I mean, that's a really cool stunt. <laughs> it's a good stunt because I'm like, holy shit, she's wow. Thank God she survived that. Seriously. She's not going to survive much longer. No, no, she's not. Denise tries to run past Billy, but he grabs her. She tries to break free, but he picks her up in the air and impales her on the antlers of a mounted deer head on the wall. And then you this is the director's cut. You'll see, you actually see the antlers like come through her stomach and everything. Ugh. And it's, it's rough. And I do think that the 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 seventy six minute versions, you know, you lose some of the gore. But as I get older, I realize I don't need to see every bit of gore because I st- I am a firm believer. I grew up on movies like Jaws and stuff. I am a firm believer that your imagination will create something infinitely worse than what you actually see. People say that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the scariest movie they've ever seen, and that came out in nineteen seventy four. They've got a scene where Leatherface puts a girl on a meat hook. They don't show the hook going into her body. They just show her face yeah. and they show her screaming in anguish. That's all you need. They don't need to do that. They sh- they could have just easily had a, a sound effect. It, 
it would have made it more more effective in my opinion. And and I think it is in the in the shorter version, but yes. your your brain is is an amazing machine and it will fill in the gaps and it will fill them in worse than you could ever possibly film. So sometimes less is more. Yeah, I mean Lo- I maybe Linnea quickly is one of the few actors who's like had her chest ruptured a few times because doesn't she pull like a or put a lipstick in her chest in night of the demons or pull it out or something yeah like night, night of the demons spoiler alert that's somewhere in your stack so Linnea quickly will eventually pop she's back, back up again <laughs> back in the new york groove <laughs> Zach's she's like, back sex looking at back his with stack. her naked boobs sex <laughs> looking at his stack right now trying to figure out which one it is <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my dog who's dreaming right now by the way <laughs> billy's she's like making noises anyway sorry yeah, and by the way, where the fuck is uh, Billy Zapka's stunt double Tommy, by the way? Where is that guy? And I had that note. I was like, why the fuck did, did he hear any of this commotion? Like, I understand what we'll see in a second that the whole—I even wrote it down right here. Billy is yelling punish the whole time, and somehow Tommy doesn't hear all of the commotion in the basement. Um, Maybe what would have tracked so much easier had him wearing headphones. Yep, just have more headphones. Smoking a joint. Yep, that's Smoking it. Smoking a joint. That's it. So, you know what's funny? That that's literally the, the the biggest plot hole in this movie is how did Tommy not hear Denise get killed upstairs? Yeah, they don't make houses like that anymore. So insulated, you can't hear someone getting killed downstairs. <laughs> Cer- <laughs> certainly don't, my friend. Certainly don't. Down in the basement, Tommy is playing pool and listening to music. He would have at least heard when she hit the floor. Like maybe not when she gets uh, impaled, but he would have heard when she hit the floor. You know. Well, they. Tommy's a sympathetic character because he doesn't ever like he doesn't do anything that could be dickish. Yeah. They could have made him into a dick where he heard the thump and he's like, come on, Denise. What the fuck? Yeah. Don't leave me here with a heart on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They I know. could have easily made him a and then Billy would have been more sympathetic as a murderer. Agreed. Punish. Punish. <laughs> he yells for Denise, but when he doesn't hear her, he goes upstairs Tommy sees the bashed-in front door and says, holy shit. He then looks around the house and finally finds her hanging from the wall, impaled on the antlers. Tommy screams at the sight of his dead girlfriend. Then Billy pops out and tosses him across the room. Tommy lands by the fireplace and grabs a weapon, the fire poker, which I think is great. I'm like, he's like, yeah, let's do this. Tommy knocks Billy over the basement railing. Then goes to the phone to call the police. I mean, he's he, Tommy's Tommy's kind of like an underrated hero in this, you know. But yeah. if only he survived. Just then, Billy grabs him from behind and throws Tommy. He unplugs the phone cord and starts strangling Tommy. But Tommy needs him in the balls. I'm like, yeah, dude, fucking Tommy's yep. fighting. Tommy doesn't get very far though. Billy hammer punches him to the ground. Ah, the old hammer punch. Then rips off Tommy's shirt somehow. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. Come on, let's see those muscles. <laughs> Billy yells, Punish! As he throws Tommy through a window, we see Tommy laying dead on the ground with huge shards of glass sticking out of him. And by- There's more in the later scenes, the more shards of glass in the later scenes. At first, they're like, oh, the stomach one wasn't there earlier yeah yeah you, you'll get a better close-up when when uh, billy actually leaves the house but props to tommy because apparently they filmed that like at you know four in the morning and like for real and it was like literally like 20 degrees outside and he had to lay there you know shirtless and everything on the ground so oh poor 
Poor Tommy. Poor actors. But I will say, too, by the way, another thing about that scene that works is that you don't often see in horror films is in many cliche slasher movies, Tommy or sorry, Billy would have like covered up the body already. Right. You know, Denise would have been missing. So he would have come downstairs and she would wouldn't have been mm-hmm. anywhere to be seen. Yeah. I like this. Like immediately there's there's action trauma. You get right to the point. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't like like stage the bodies like Michael Myers does or anything like that. He just yeah. does his thing and moves on. Billy grabs the axe from the wall and goes to leave the house, but Cindy walks out of her room and yells, Santa Claus! <laughs> Billy walks over to her and asks, Have you been good or have you been naughty? She says, No, Santa Claus. Billy pulls the box cutter out of his pocket and asks, Are you sure? Cindy smiles and nods. Billy kneels down and puts the bloody box cutter into her hand as a present. Cindy looks confused. (laughs) Billy walks out of the destroyed front door and into the cold night air. We hear Cindy yelling for Denise in the background. And then, yeah, we see another, a a better close-up shot of Tommy on the ground with all the, the shards of glass in him. Yeah, poor Tommy. Cut to two police officers driving through town. One of the officers says, Can you believe this? It's Christmas Eve and we've got orders to bring in Santa Claus. The cop then asks what the captain would do if they brought in the real Santa. The other one says he's never satisfied. He'd send us back to pick up the Easter Bunny or Peter Pan. As they're driving through a neighborhood, they see a person dressed as Santa climbing up a ladder and going into a second-story bedroom. They bust through the front door and startle a lady sitting on the couch. She asks what they're doing. The cops run upstairs with their guns drawn. They open the bedroom door and, and turn on the lights. Santa turns around and a young girl wakes up in bed. She looks at Santa and says, Daddy! The mom runs up and looks surprised. The cops lower their guns. The mom almost looks surprised that the dad did that. Then I was, I was, I don't know what it says about me, but I was going to molester vibes because of it, you know? Oh, for sure, molester vibes. For right? sure. Be- be- it, it's because it, the yeah. mom is like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. It would have been funny, too, when she's like, what What the hell are you doing or whatever? Then the cops would have been like, saving your life, lady, mm-hmm. or something like that, you know? When they get up there shooting the dad because they're bumbling idiots right it would have actually been better but 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 they're not officer barnes so they don't just (laughs) yeah and it would have been nice after that if the if the wife's like uh yeah something creepy along the lines of you know if they're gonna go if they've already gone exploitation they should go go more full-on exploitation her saying you know you know, Harold, I told you to stay the stay away from us or something. <laughs> like yeah, that. I don't know. And, and it's know. and it's all because the actress who's playing the mom, she looks at the dad and the kid like she looks shocked. Like we're just reading off of her facial expressions, and I think I think that is bad directing. Then you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have freeze framed on the little girl and been like, doom, 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 doom. <laughs> on today's after school special. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? This story's not over yet. <laughs> what are you doing? Daddy climbs into your window dressed as Santa Claus. Jesus Christ, guys and gals, I'm so sorry for that. Oh, man. I mean, that shit happens. Yeah. yeah. It's horrible. This, this whole movie's chock full of it. Cut to Billy walking. Well, really quick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You know, because people are like, oh, Halloween. Rightfully so. 
Friday the 13th, goo, they were all traumatized little kids at one point. So the trauma for everyone, for everyone that says that this movie goes over the line, and I'm one of them as well, like there was, there was trauma with all these other maniacs, you know, that, that became maniacs. So we just never really saw it. This movie shows it. Yeah. And that's what makes it even more intense, but makes it more realistic too. Yeah. And, and thus makes it a bit scarier. Because Billy's yep. Billy's a very he's a very human killer like slasher you know he's very human yeah he could, could be any one of us if we had that fucking horrible origin story yeah wow cut to wow. cut to Billy walking down a dark rural street I have a hard time with that word rural rural it's like Marlboro. Marlboro man, remember I, I had to practice that before I fucking yeah before we did Harley Davis and I didn't flub man. that once and usually I'm the one that's <laughs> mush mouth. <laughs> he sees a cop car driving driving up and hides in a ditch. The police drive by but don't stop. Billy walks off into the darkness. <laughs> Cut to two teen boys with their sleds in the woods. Ah, teen boys doing what teen boys do. I think, you know, really quick, and I'm just hitting on this because I noticed these guys, because the one kid has a Boston hat on, right? The two team boys. And then earlier, Andy, he's like, has that, that New York accent. Like they hired New York, East Coast actors. Right. Yeah. In Utah. And just, yeah, brought them to Utah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It's Provo, Yay! Utah, for crying out loud. <laughs> Yay. Gay. No, good. That's actually a good call. I wouldn't be surprised. If they didn't cast anybody in Utah, you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe Bob and Mac. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, they stop at a hill and marvel at the virgin snow, which sadly doesn't look like fresh snow. It looks like very walked-on snow, but uh, okay. Virgin, man, <laughs> one of the boys says. The other says, the only kind you'll ever get. <laughs> the first kid then gets on his sled and says he's going to go down first. As he sits down, he hears bells jingling softly in the darkness. The other boy, the sarcastic one, says, Go on, what's the matter? Are you afraid? The first boy tells him to shut up for a second. The second one goes, Are you having a religious experience? Or did you pee your <laughs> pants? <laughs> I actually like that line. Are you having a religious experience? The first kid looks out into the darkness and says, Somebody else is out here. Both boys look around but don't see anything. Who'd be out here on Christmas Eve? Go on. The first kid says, be quiet for a minute. I feel like someone's watching me. The sarcastic one uh, replies, like who? Santa's little elves? Side note, real quick. I know this is a tangent-heavy episode. But uh, one of the things I found was fascinating. Um, army, like um, A military person was talking on a podcast I was listening to, and he was saying that uh, one thing they train you when you're waiting to ambush somebody or something or you're watching people walk by you don't look at them. You look at their their feet or something, or you look at the ground, but you never look at them because we all can feel it, and they will, you know, look over to where you are. And I just I find that fascinating. That that's um like that's almost something that's kind of like you know ESP sort of you know the but but it's a real thing, and and the government even puts it into training. Whereas if you're going to ambush somebody, you don't look at them because they'll feel it. Wow. Yeah. I'm fascinated that you're listening to a military podcast. It wasn't a military podcast. It was actually a Sasquatch podcast, and it was just a military person on it. Beep, beep. 
I don't listen to military podcasts at all. The first kid looks out into the darkness and says, someone is, oh, I already said that, God damn it. The first kid relents and says it was probably just his imagination. The sarcastic kid says, yeah, it would be if you had one. Now ride your stupid sled. The first boy is about to take off when two other kids hop out of the tree line. The sarcastic kid says, well, if it isn't Bob and Mac. Now, why don't you guys just get the fuck out of the way? I like how he stands up to them. Yeah. Bob and Mac walk over to the younger boys and Bob, question mark. You don't ever know which is which. I don't know. I'll just, but I call the the bigger one Bob. Uh, Sure. Glad to little man, but we're going to go sledding. The sarcastic kid says, oh, that's the plan. You guys are going to take our sleds. You guys are great. You know, I want to grow up and be just like you. Ugly and very stupid. I love that kid. Yeah, me too. Bob punches the sarcastic kid in the stomach and Mac pushes the other one off his sled. While Bob has the boy in a chokehold, he tells him to take back his insult. The kid finally relents and says he's sorry. Bob throws him to the ground and tells the boys to get out of there. The bullies laugh and Mac gets on the sled to go first. He stops and asks, what if I hit a tree? Bob tells him to just go. We see Mac make it down the hill, no problem. From the bottom, Mac yells up to his friend. Bob gets on his sled and heads down the hill. (laughs) And I love how he's like, whoo, (laughs) whoo. He heads down the hill, and as he's going down the hill, and it's a really cool like first-person shot, Billy pops out of the tree line, swinging his axe and yelling, Naughty! And, by the way, they got this shot in one take. Also, that axe had a rubber tip on it in case he missed, because he kind of had to swing right at the cameraman, you know, and, and just really time it right. But he says they knocked that one out in one take. Wow. Yeah, and... Good thing they did because they killed that kid for real in one take. <laughs> in one take, Bob is dead. Hey, Bob, a Bob, <laughs> dead. At the bottom, Mac watches his friend's headless body come to a stop by his feet. Then Bob's head comes rolling down. Mac screams like a girl. It's great. It's great. I love this scene. It's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's I... hilarious. I agree. And I would you say this is probably the most iconic like sort of kill slash scene of the movie? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Cut to the local courthouse and Sister Margaret is laying down on a bench asleep in the lobby. Captain Richards gently wakes her up. She apologizes for falling asleep and asks if there's any news. Captain Richards says, all bad, sister. <laughs> he sits next to her and tells her that there have been three more murders. Been eluding my men all night. Kid may be nuts, but he's not stupid. Sister Margaret says, no, he's not stupid. In fact, everything he's doing has has a kind of logic to it, once you understand what he's gone through. The captain says, if that's true, there ought to be a way we can predict his next move. Just then it dawns on Sister Margaret, and she says, oh my lord. It would have been funny if she goes, Jesus Christ, (laughs) Jesus Christ, Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) Cut to St. Mary's home for orphan children. Again, that's another good edit because you know exactly what she's thinking. You know, inside all the kids are opening their presents while Mother Superior watches them. She's in a wheelchair now to indicate the passage of time. She tells the kids she wants the wrapping paper and boxes to be folded neatly and everyone to write a nice thank you note for Santa for his visit later. Billy's younger brother, Ricky, is still there. 
In Mother Superior's office, a kid is using a phone to play with her doll. She goes back into the main area with the other kids, but leaves the phone off the ringer. Cut to Captain Richards and his office on the phone. He's only getting a busy signal. He hangs up and asks if there's only one line to the orphanage. She says that that's it. He says they can't wait any longer. He's going to go down to dispatch, then they're going to go to the orphanage together. Cut to Officer Barnes, played by Max Robinson, driving down the road when he hears the captain over the dispatch. I need every available car to go out to the orphanage on the double. Santa Claus killer may be headed that way now. Responding officers are ordered to shoot to kill if necessary. Officer Barnes hangs a bitch, then hightails it to the orphanage. Uh, Max Robinson, anything of note that we should know about on IMDb? Yeah, I, so he was in Snowballing as well. <laughs> so, uh, and Halloween 5. Nice. And Other People's Money, which oh. is actually a decent Danny DeVito movie. Um, it's funny because so often these actors are popping up in archive footage in the Silent Night movies. It makes me wonder how much footage they use from the original yeah in like flashback scenes yeah and yeah i saw that he because he's gonna die and i saw that he was in later silent nights i'm like i wonder if that's a flashback or something but okay yeah outside of the orphanage the kids are playing in the snow we see someone dressed as santa walking towards the kids as officer barnes is driving up to the orphanage he sees santa walking towards the kids didn't need to repeat that sorry guys and gals (laughs) He, he slams on his brakes and gets out of the car with his gun drawn He yells for the man to stop, then yells for the kids to get out of the way. One of the kids, Ricky, is getting very close to Santa. Officer Officer Barnes puts three rounds into Santa's back, sending him down hard and spraying blood all over Ricky. One of the nuns runs out and tells the kids to go inside. Ricky is in shock. Barnes approaches the body of Santa. Dude, I mean, trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And it's like Ricky was so young that he didn't remember his parents getting killed. He'll remember the fuck out of this. Right. Cut to Captain Richards and Sister Margaret driving towards the orphanage. They hear over the radio that a man dressed like Santa was shot and killed at St. Mary's home. Captain Richards tells Sister Margaret that he's sorry. She looks very upset. Just then, dispatch calls the captain directly and tells them they have a problem. The description of the dead man is all wrong. Barnes says the guy's about 50, under 6 feet tall. Sister Margaret says, oh my god, it's Father O'Brien. He was our Santa this year. (laughs) The dispatcher says that Barnes warned the guy to stop, but he wouldn't respond. Sister Margaret says, he's deaf. He couldn't hear it. (laughs) He's deaf. He's deaf, motherfuckers. The captain tells dispatch to tell Barnes to stay at the orphanage. The killer may still be on his way there. Cut to Father O'Brien's body being put into an ambulance and carted off into a morgue. Inside, Officer Barnes is talking to Mother Superior. She says she doesn't understand how he could have mistaken Father O'Brien for the murder. Barnes says that Captain Richards can explain everything when he gets here. I'm sorry for what happened, but there is a killer on the way. Mother Superior says, no harm must come to the children. Do you understand? Barnes says, that's why I'm here, sister. I am Mother Superior, and so far, all you have done is harm. Meanwhile, no harm must come to the children because I will give them the harm <laughs> they deserve. Is I am the one who harms them. Yes. Punishment is necessary. 
Punishment is necessary. Punishment is good. <laughs> Naughty. 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 <laughs> Your Dalek was uh, was great on uh, Choppy Mall, bro. <laughs> Exterminate, Doctor. Who? Who? What? Exactly. What there, there you go. There you go. Barnes says he's sorry, and he's going to go check out the grounds. He tells her to stay inside and don't let anyone in unless you know exactly who they are. Mother Superior goes back with the children, and Barnes draws his gun and goes outside. The other nun goes up to Mother Superior and reminds her that the kids are terrified. She decides to take her, their mind off of it with a song. She has Ricky go grab her pitch pipe. Such a good boy. Not at all like his brother Billy. She says William, but I just say Billy because I don't want to confuse everybody. She addresses the kids. I know that you're very upset, and I understand, but I want you to stop that moping. We are going to sing. Then they all start singing Deck the Halls. Which, of course, that's not made up. Maybe they chose that one so that all the kids would know it. You know what I mean? Probably, yeah. 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 Outside, Officer Barnes is walking around the building with his gun drawn. He checks a few doors to see that they are locked. Then he sees a door to a shed sort of blow open. Barnes cautiously walks over to investigate the movement and discovers that it's not a shed but the door to an underground sort of boiler room heater type of thing or something i saw one of these when i was in michigan over the summer at at uh um like a little island belle isle that i went to and it was so creepy it's just so yeah it leads to maybe it, it was like an underground cellar that was just filled in with dirt it's so creepy yeah it's a great set because Apparently, you know, it just in the in the script, it was just like he dies, you know. So they had they, when they were, you know, scouting the orphanage, they saw this little spot and they're like, OK, let's just do it here. And maybe yeah. maybe the, the, the boiler or whatever's undergrounds and away from the, the main area sort of explodes. It doesn't take the, the building with it or something. But you're right. It's a creepy scene and, and a creepy setting and a natural setting, too. Like they apparently they didn't have to, like, set dress it or anything. Nope. He slowly walks down the stairs and investigates the dark room. No one is there. Officer Barnes goes back up the stairs, but as soon as he gets back to the door, Billy pops out with his axe and yells, Punish! And sinks it right into Barnes's chest. He falls back down the stairs dead. Back inside the orphanage, the kids are still singing Christmas songs. Oh, did you notice, like, the phone down there too by the way wasn't there a phone by his head i thought i saw a phone i I did not notice that but maybe it's like a like a junked one or something like just throwing like trash or something i guess Hmm. i don't know Hmm. i'll have to Hmm. look look for that next time i watch it yeah next christmas when we're watching (laughs) silent night deadly night part two after the he-man she-ra christmas special that's right baby put that in the rotation billy walks up to the front door with his bloody axe but not before chopping the head off a snowman first. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. One of the kids inside sees Billy dressed as Santa at the front door and gets up to let him in. Mother Superior yells for him to stop, but it's too late. Billy is in the building. All the other kids get excited because they think it's Santa, but Mother Superior tells them to stay away from him. She puts herself between Billy and the kids. Ricky looks at Santa and seems to recognize him. I think he does because he doesn't have, like, the, the beard on. You know, he can see it's his brother. Yeah. 
Billy looks at Mother Superior and says, Naughty. And she yells, There's no Santa Claus. Billy raises his axe, but is shot in the back twice before he can land the killing blow. Sister Margaret rushes... Uh, the captain shoots him. Sister Margaret rushes to Billy's side. He looks at her, then the kids, and says, You're safe now. Santa is gone. And then he dies on the floor. The camera pans over to the bloody axe by Ricky's feet. He looks at Mother Superior angrily and says, Naughty. And the warm side of the dough. Credits. I love love this movie, my friend. Love it so much. Uh, It's 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 easy to digest. It's it's fast paced. You know, again, I recommend. I personally recommend the theatrical cut. Seventy six minutes. A cool seventy six minutes, baby. It's uh, from start to finish. It's a wild ride. It's it's a it's a it's a difficult ride, but I think it's expertly handled. And at the same time, I think it's also a fun slasher film. And at the same time, it's a fucking Christmas movie. So Silent Night, Deadly Night, man, I love this film, and it's now going to be a part of of my my yearly rotation. Yeah, it's exploitation at its finest, and it's a fun holiday disturbed treat romp if you will yep yep and uh it's it's good it it, it kind of plays with you know it's not your typical a to b slasher movie it's got like little elements here and there that set it apart from many of the other genre films yeah and for the most part you know up until he kind of switches you know you're you're rooting for billy you're you're hoping he he turns out okay but yeah ultimately he doesn't and uh you know, even this movie here sets it up that that it kind of gets transferred over to Ricky. And personally, like I said, I've never really seen any of the other ones. So I'm kind of excited to sort of see where they take this story. I kind of can sort of piece it together in my head or what I think is going to happen. But I'm excited to see if it actually happens or not. Yeah, the ending uh, just popped in my head now. It was kind of like a Wolfman type thing where mm. once he's been killed, he realizes... A threat's no longer, you know, yeah. he's no longer a threat. Yeah, exactly. And again, this is another one of those movies where the protagonist is also the antagonist. And you kind of got to feel sorry for the guy because it's, it's it's trauma. It's PTSD. and You and, have to feel sorry. Yeah, the whole thing is messed up. And they never found the guy that killed his parents to begin with. Yeah, you never really, you never get a conclusion to, to the killer Santa thing. And that guy was fucking maniacal. You never get like a reason why grandpa was such a fucking crate nutcase, you know, and everything. And I like those questions. I like that. There's no resolution to that because you're just following Billy. You know, the, the, the first third of this could easily be uh, a little short and could just scare the hell out of people. End credits after before Billy goes to his, uh, you know, uh, orphanage End credits after he sees his parents get killed. Jesus, that would be terrifying. That would Anyways, be it's just so yeah, it's disturbing. <laughs> but yeah, I highly recommend this one. And, uh, you know, especially as an alternate Christmas film. And uh, as always, I highly recommend two dollar late fee. Uh, buddy, we are wrapping up, uh, you know, December here and everything. Can you give us a sneak peek? 
and what you guys have going on in 2023. Well, we're rounding out 2022 really quickly with a Christmas Story reunion episode. Zach Ward, a.k.a. Scott Farkas, and Scott Schwartz, a.k.a. Flick, will be on our show. It's really a funny episode. Those two are, are gold, comedy gold together. So, so you're, uh, you're telling me you and Dustin are not covering Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, uh, series over there? No, we're not. We're not. And and we're we're doing something a little bit different. So we're taking the month of January off to um to kind of get some episodes under our belt ahead of time and we've got a big name. Uh, I think she's a big name. Oh, I oh, don't want to oh, spoil too much. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh we're we're going to be dropping a very kind of different episode in the uh, as we launch season 4. Uh, our Patreon will still be going strong uh, throughout the month of January, and we'll be dropping uh, the Joe Dante interview that we did at LA Comic Con with Brandon Hay, uh, the executive producer of the upcoming Mogwai cartoon. We'll be dropping that in January as well. And a little fun thing from Scott Schwartz that was very unexpected. Um, you're just gonna have to tune in and see. I don't want to spoil it. It's kind of these are like little surprises. Dustin and I were gonna take the whole month of January off, but then this certain things happen and like, well, we got to release this episode. Oh, we got to release that thing. So look for some fun things to pop up. Uh, keep an eye on our Instagram for more details. But yeah, two dollar life is going strong. If so many of the patrons that are on to on Pad are also on two dollar, and I want to thank all of you guys. For all your support, uh, you know, both of these shows I love wholeheartedly, and it, this is brings me unlimited joy doing both shows, and you guys help keep the lights on, you help support us. Um, you know, so much talk right now is of AI shit and whatever, like true artists, true artists need to survive um, to keep their art flourishing, and you guys are helping us do that, so thank you. I second everything uh, Zach just said. Really appreciate you all uh, for, for everything, all the love and support that you give us this this whole year. It's been unbelievable. You know, you know, I know if some of you have hit up Zach on Twitter and everything, some of you hit up me on Instagram, but we both, you know, I'll give Zach that information. Zach will, you know, send me the messages from Twitter and whatnot. So we all, we see both sides and we really appreciate everybody's love and support, especially the love and support you've given the Carpenter Factor this this past year. It's been awesome. Uh, by the time this comes out, I oh, I guess I better edit uh, <laughs> the Big Trouble in Little China before my mom comes in town uh, <laughs> for two weeks. But next month, January, we're going to be kicking off 2023 with the Carpenter Factor with Prince of Darkness. I am ecstatic to go and revisit that movie uh if you go back and listen to our proper breakdown and review i i talk i, I talk immensely about my love for that film zach introduced me to that film i think it's one of my favorite carpenter films i'm curious to see if that still holds up but uh prince of darkness man we're gonna be jumping on that in january and uh, then we have like they live and stuff we have some great carpenter stuff and it starts going downhill, but uh, we're we're there for all of it. We're, we're going to be there for all of it. And you know what? 
maybe there'll be a few surprises along the way. There will be. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm confident of that. Me too, because we do love Carpenter no matter what. So I'm curious. Like I'm curious to see if like like how Ghost of Mars holds up. You know, because Oof. I I know I know I, I feel the same way, but I haven't seen it since I haven't seen it since I worked at the video store. So, you ever see Village of the Damned? That, that's the one I haven't seen. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Um, although I do remember when that came out, and I remember the hype for it and everything. Um, but I didn't see it. Uh, I, I, I am looking forward. The ones I'm looking most forward to seeing are Village of the Damned and especially In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my ju- I'll hold my comments for the for the patreon show there you go there you go but thank you all so much for supporting it we have great stuff coming we we're, we're rocking and rolling uh january for podcasting after dark we'll be uh we're gonna be tackling um uh patreon picked films again and uh we will give you all a heads up as to what that is on uh wrap up after dark this month so we will announce the movies there but uh january will be another patreon uh aaron and rob will be well, their their movies and then february we got some fun stuff planned for that so the fun never ends on both two dollar late fee and podcasting after dark and all the shows on the bfop network you know you know them all guys and gals go check out the website bfopnetwork.com and also make sure if uh you want to know all the shit we're doing go check out podcastingafterdark.com also check out two dollar late fee.com and as always we'll catch you on the Warm side of the door. Happy New Year, everybody. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.